Breaking ball pulled on the ground. Bregman makes a nice play on the short hop, and that's the ball game. Houston wins the series two games to one. They win the game here on Sunday afternoon, six to three. And the offense got it started early. Altuve and McCormick both homering early in the ball game, and the Astros never looked back. Smith and Marcius are buzzing in front. Marcius hat trick. Golden Knights take a three-goal lead. Smith set it up across the crease. Marcius delivers a playoff hat trick. Well, the fans deserve to have their say. And the Montreal Canadiens have pushed to the Winnipeg Jets to the brink with a Well, I got everybody upset last night. So you got everybody mad at me who follows me on Twitter. Did you happen to see the poll question I threw up before I went to bed? I, I just saw it. <laughs> I mean, I like I... I I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't think people... I, not, not my circle or people that I know or people that that I mean I don't see a lot of people but they they aren't over the Maple Leafs loss I'm sorry if you are you don't want to talk about it anymore you don't want to hear about it but everybody I know aren't over it and they aren't getting over it anytime okay, soon okay so, so go go ahead okay the troll poll is this if the Leafs had ended up beating the Habs what would the current score of the Leafs jet series be because Montreal's winning this thing three games to none and it's now a mere formality before they finish it off. It could happen as early as tonight. So your four options are pretty obvious. 3-0 Toronto, 2-1 Toronto, 2-1 Winnipeg, 3-0 Winnipeg. And I'm getting a bunch of like, get over it, get over it. Well, it's only yeah. been a week. It's only been a week since the Leafs were eliminated. And this, what is going on between the Canadians and the Jets? I think it's a stretch to suggest that just because the Habs are beating the Jets 3 nothing, the Leafs would be rolling Winnipeg. I don't know if the Leafs can play the style that the Montreal Canadiens seemingly now have perfected since Game 7 against Toronto. Like, I hear all the well, analysis, Ziggy. It's like, well, the Habs, are, they, they, they score first and lock it down. Well, they didn't do that in Game 5 against Toronto. They scored first. They didn't lock it down. They didn't do that in Game 6 against Toronto. They did score first, but they didn't lock it down. This little thing they've got going on, scoring all these shorthanded goals, getting leads, they've perfected locking it down over the last three or four games, and that's a difference. So my question is, is what do you think the score would be? And I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound, but this just makes me more angry at the Maple Leafs, that the Habs are up 3 nothing, a game away from advancing to play either Colorado or Vegas in the final four. Well, I always look at it like whenever I get knocked out, like when I was playing and you'd get knocked out, you always see how the team that gets knocked out, you know, the team that knocks you out, you always see how they do against the next series, right? And I don't know how you'd not do it <laughs> as a Leafs fan when you're watching Winnipeg and Montreal. It's it's natural. And if you're not a Leafs fan, okay, I get it. Like you've moved on. You don't want to watch you don't want to, you don't care about the Leafs, but if you're a Leafs fan, how do you, I, I don't know how you don't keep an eye on the series and see how they would have done against Winnipeg. I, I don't know. That's just, 
I, I feel like that's a natural thing to do after, especially in the playoffs. Um, it's tough to watch. I, I will say that because you're just like, gosh, if like, what if the Leafs were in this position? What what would they be like? And from your poll, yeah, you got to think, you got to think the Leafs would be up three nothing right now, right? Well, and it does hurt because then you're like, I'm sixty minutes from going to the place I thought I was going to three weeks ago in the conference final or final four, whatever you want to call it. So I'm frustrated. It's tough to watch. Um, I think every series is different though. Like every matchup, you can say what you want about watching the team that just beat you. Like what year did Boston beat Toronto in game seven and then went to the, went to the Stanley cup final. Was that the loss against Chicago? I'm pretty sure yeah, 13. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's hard to watch that team, but every, every series is different. So yeah, I can be frustrated here. If you're a Leafs fan and you're watching this Montreal Winnipeg series and you're, and you're sitting there wondering, well, that could have been us. Well, you don't know. You don't know what the, you don't know what the Jets Leafs matchup could have been like different, you know, Hellebuck may have played differently in these last, these first three games. Like you don't know. You don't know what the matchups are like, lines, suspensions, like the Shifley suspension, I think is massive. Everyone's talking about what's wrong with the Jets. Well, their best player is not playing. And as important as Evans is to the Habs, and I think he was really important for that top line. If I had to trade, I wouldn't want to lose Shifley if I'm the Winnipeg Jets. And I think it's just, it's massive. Well, and DeMello you, being yeah. down, I mean, that's somebody off their back end who's also... Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, you want to always compare, but it's so tough to know exactly what would have happened. But if you're a Leafs fan sitting here watching them, you're just, I I don't know many people that are, that I think the Leafs fans are, that I know are frustrated watching this, but they haven't, they've decided to turn off. Like they can't watch. They can't watch to see what would have been in the second round. And those are like the, those are like my diehard buddies. Like they're, they're still, this is going to take a while for them to get over maybe this summer. Like, I don't know. I don't know if they've entered silent Vic territory, well, but <laughs> like walking away from it. Well, the poll is 27.9% saying three, nothing Toronto, 29.6% saying two, one Leafs, a 27.2% three, nothing Winnipeg, 15.2% two, one Winnipeg. So, and this is a this is whoever follows me or whoever's ended up seeing the poll on Twitter, Ziggy. So I don't know if this is majority Leafs fans. I assume that they are, but there would be Habs fans. I was getting quote tweeted by Habs fans saying, "What are you even talking about? This is the stupidest." I got I was getting responses saying, "This is the stupidest poll ever," but I did vote in it. Well, that's the whole point. The question I'm effectively asking, if you're a Leafs fan, is how angry are you still, and has the Habs? dominating Winnipeg so far, scoring a shorthanded goal a game in this series. Is it just sticking the knife further into your already punctured kidney? Yeah, it's a, this is, you're looking at the Montreal Canadiens right now. I think they're even better than the series they played against Toronto. I don't think enough people gave them credit. Uh, I still wouldn't change my opinion if I had to pick again. I'd still say the Leafs would win, but it's a tough out. It's, I think, Carey Price, he, yeah, a lot of people have overlooked him. And 
I don't think he's the reason that they're winning. Like everyone's saying, well, Carey Price is the reason he's standing on his head. I think he's been standing tall. He's making the right saves at the right time. He's giving them confidence and he's allowing the Canadians to make certain mistakes on the ice. And I think it's, I think it's huge for that club. I think that makes a difference in the playoffs more than any other time during the season. So with Carey Price, this is the guy that I've talked about, right? Like how many times have we discussed who would be on the Olympic team? Who, where do you think price ranks in the league overall from goaltending standpoint? And I I've always said, if it's, if it's a 10 day, two week tournament or playoffs, he he's a guy I'm worried about. He's just, he's tough. And I haven't played against, I didn't play against them a lot, but from guys I talk to that get to see him throughout the season, they say he's still one of the best. Like, you don't know. And they they're building off that. It's, it's like I, the feeling I have when I can go on the ice and I know my goaltender can bail me out at certain times of a game. You take that extra chance. You hang on to the puck a little bit longer as a defenseman. You know, you can give up something. It's not like when you don't have confidence in your goaltender, you're always worried about giving up a shot from anywhere. But when you have some confidence in your goaltender where you can maybe give a shot from the outside where you have Carey Price back there and he's playing well, you know what he's going to stop. It just changes the make of it. It changes how offensively minded you are. It changes the system you play in your own end, your defensive zone structure. I talked about this a lot with Freddie Anderson, and I know I'll stop mentioning his name here because the whole fan base has moved on from him, but he would give the Leafs when he was playing well, he gives them that confidence. And I've always said he was a guy that, he really changed the way the style of the Leafs and you kind of knew what you were, you know, you knew what he was going to give up. You knew what he could stop. And that gave the team a lot of confidence. I think the same goes with Carey Price. It's really changed the makeup of their team. And I will say with the Canadians that yes, get, I, I know getting the leads important, but watch what happens. Okay. I pumped. Okay. I pumped the Canadians tires. And I'm sorry for all the Canadians fans out there, but wait what happens until you see them give up the lead in the game. Like if Winnipeg gets up in a game, watch how tough it's going to be or the next series. Like this is all but done, right? With the Jets, it's going to happen here. Like the Jets aren't coming back from three, nothing, but watch the next series when they get down. Well, you're going to see a completely different Habs team. Well, and they're playing the winner of Colorado Vegas because the final four reseed. So the winner of Colorado Vegas has the most points of any team remaining. The Habs, of course, have the least. And the winner of Carolina Tampa Bay will have home ice advantage against the winner of Boston and the Islanders. So that, that's where it's at. They're getting Colorado Vegas in the next round, Montreal, as long as they get by Winnipeg, which seems like a formality. Although, as a Leafs fan, I can acknowledge that Winnipeg is only one win away from being exactly <laughs> from the Habs having the Jets where the Leafs had the Habs. And then anything is, mm-hmm. is but like on a scale of one to 10, one being no chance, 10 being, it's pretty much a lock. There's no way the Habs are beating their next 11. Opponent. Yeah, make it 11. Please, please make it 11. There's no way they're beating Colorado or Vegas. 
they should. Yeah, I, I will. Well, it's if you want me to pick just yeah, a I'll, different level of I'll, hockey. I'll take, going. Well, they're I, I've been pumping their tires all season, like Colorado and Vegas. They're the I, I still think they're the the best two teams in the league. I think Tampa Bay is a close third, and I think you can throw. You can never count out the Bruins. I think the Hurricanes are a, a tougher out than people think. I think the Leafs. I think the Leafs were there. I think the if you want to round out the top five, six, I, I do think the Leafs were there. And you're going to say, well, they lost in the first round. Well, they're one goal away from from taking on and beating the <laughs> the Winnipeg. Like, if the Jets had the same situation happen where they have their star player go down uh, with a suspension or injury or whatever. The Le- like it, the Leafs would be in the position the Canadians are in right now. I, I have no doubt in that. It was one goal, and I'm not sour. And the series is over, and the Canadians deserve to win. But the Leafs were in two games, one goal away from going to the second round. Like I don't think people understand. Well, that's what makes it hurt even more. Yeah, and it, it's just it's it's t- so if, if the the Habs going against Colorado or Vegas, do they have a chance? Yes, Carey Price is not going to have to stand tall. He will literally have to stand on his head. And he's going to have to do it for six games because either of those teams will figure out the Canadians. But hey, the Canadians get a lead and they lock it down. I'm telling you, there's not much out there. There's not much going on. They shut it down through the neutral zone. The big four in the back end. They're tough to play against. They're long. They're big. They're tough. They don't let you establish a cycle like Winnipeg. I, I, they have nothing going on, like not generate anything. I, well, Jacques, I get somewhere it. Jacques Lemaire sitting around just extremely excited about what he's. And that's seen. and that's it's it's a couple things. It's Ducharme. So it's the big four in the bat and the on, on their in their D their top four. It's also the fact the way they deploy them. Most of the time, at least one of those guys is on the ice. So the that's really tough from a coaching standpoint to get. And that happened in the least series a lot, right? At least one of those guys were on the ice. And I think that was tough for Toronto, but that's one thing. The price, obviously we talked about a lot, the coaching um, it's Descharmes. It's the culture he builds there, right? You don't, you don't just become a good defensive team by, by practicing at your own end. That's uh, the way a coach prepares you for a game. That's the leadership you have in the room and making sure everybody kind of falls in line. So that's another thing. I, I, I think that's the, the biggest factor. And then I, I don't know who their fourth line is. Like, I, I don't know. And it's when you have four lines going and three can be productive, that's why they're in this position. Like, I get they're scoring first and they're getting the leads, but I've talked about this a lot. It's not a top six or top nine league. I'm saying this for two years, right? It's a top. It's not a top. It's not a top six league. It's a top nine, and this matters. So when you go into the playoffs, you need four lines playing well, but you need three to be producing. That's that's how you win. Like watch Vegas play, watch Colorado, and who scores the first goal? Perry, Perry, Stall, or, or Mia. Like I. Are they the fourth line? They're the fourth line on paper, but for a line that's been effective, probably they're, I don't know. It's, I, I want to say first or second, but then you get Suzuki and Zanola line. Like they, they have a lot going on right now. They just, they're a team that's had trouble scoring. 
But how would they do against Vegas and Colorado? I think they're in tough because Colorado and Vegas have the best two teams. They're the best two teams in the league. The good news for presumably the Canadians and maybe the Winnipeg Jets if they come back is that they will get to play at home in the next round. So the federal government has yeah, issued that's an great. exemption. So the deal is, and there there are some people who are unhappy about this. If if a professional hockey team can can cross the border from the United States and not quarantine for 14 days, why can't Joe or Jill Q public? Well, they have to adhere to a strict set of protocols. They, they have to stay. The Vegas Golden Knights or Colorado will have to stay at their designated hotel in Montreal. They're only allowed Ziggy to travel to the arena. And there are also restrictions on people that players, coaches, staff, with whoever's coming into Montreal, Vegas or Colorado, can interact with. And people are saying, well, may, I mean, maybe this is good news for a team like the Blue Jays. Right? Because they're across the way in Buffalo right now playing their home games just a stone's throw. I mean, they're they're so close and yet so far. I think that a part of this exemption is a reflection of the fact that we are continuing day by day to push toward our goals with the vaccinations. That's a whole other topic. As it pertains specifically to the Blue Jays, I th- I think it's a I think it's a bit of a different deal just because of the frequency of travel. Like if you're the Jays, you'd be in Canada in Toronto one week at a time, right? Presumably you're playing two different teams at home. Sometimes you have a three-team home series over 10 days or 10 games, something like that. But you're home for 7 to 10 days, then you're gone to the United States in two or three different cities for seven to 10 days. And it's just the daily grind, the unending week over week, month over month, daily grind of having to adhere to a specific protocol just so that you'd be allowed to cross the border and play your home games in Toronto. This is very doable for Colorado or Vegas. And then if the Habs advance to the Stanley cup final for Boston, the Islanders, Tampa Bay or Carolina, because you're doing it in a real tight period of time. I think if you're the Blue Jays, we're, we're getting there. I don't want to pour cold water on this, but but we're not there yet. They're just it'd be too complicated, I think, and I don't think Blue Jays players would want to sign off on it because of the restrictions it would put on their lives day in and day out. Yeah, I think it would be great for the Jays. I think this is a start. This definitely will, uh, and I'm sure the Jays it's a sign have been of things con- to come. But it's well, not- yeah, well, I'm sure they've been talking to the government. And once you allow teams to cross the border, I think those talks would pick up and it is going to happen. I, I, I could see it happening like for the, for the playoffs for, for the Jays. I know they have to get in the playoffs, but if the play, if they get in the playoffs playoffs for sure, for sure, you kidding me, but, the, <laughs> but for end of the season, yeah, for sure. This is definitely going to help their chances. A couple of things with, the NHL allowing, uh, well, the Canadian government allowing U.S. teams to come across the border. It's only going to be a minimum of two trips and a maximum of six. So it's not going back and forth. And everyone's saying, well, if you're going to allow that, why not let the Jays? How many teams would have to cross the border from now to the end of the season? What would it be? 20, 20 times, 25 times, roughly? Like how many games are left? There's yeah. over over half a season, right? 
Yeah, going so, back and forth, you're looking probably about 22 dozen, something yeah, like that. Yeah, so that's a lot different than two times crossing the border. I think it's possible. I've said it from the start of the pandemic. Teams could come over in a private plane, in a charter bus, right to the hotel. You're not allowed to leave. You throw security guards on the floor. They go to the rink, back on the bus, onto the plane, and out. I think it's possible. Do I think it's fair for everyone else? No. There's people that – I know there's people that work for a living that need to travel, but their industry is not considered essential. So for them to leave and come back and do everything, the right protocols and stuff and the quarantine and spending 3000 in a hotel room, like in that sense, I don't think it's fair for everyone else because they're different rules, right? I think like a lot of people are upset. Like a lot of people that they that they're not allowed to travel but now US teams can come across the border into Canada without having to quarantine and is it is it fair i no i don't think it's fair but i know what the travel is like on the pro sports side and i don't want to say there's no risk but for everyone that thinks they're going to be you know going to restaurants or walking around downtown from what I'm hearing about what they're going to make these teams do, they're not allowed to leave. They're going to be in their own self-contained bubble. But I think it's tough for, I'm going to include me and everyone, for all the rest of us. <laughs> I mean, you I don't are say an normal, normal, player norm, now. I don't want to say normal normal people, <laughs> but like we're, 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 it's different rules for us. And that's, I, I just, I don't think that's fair, but it's definitely possible. John Paul Morosi will join us at uh, 710. We'll get into the Blue Jays, obviously. We've got to get into this pitchers doctoring the ball scandal. My my one question for John is, is this. You don't have to explain to me the benefit to Major League Baseball in the late 90s when guys had back knee and bloated muscles and were hitting home runs left, right, and center. That That's obvious. That It was a show. Coming out of the strike, I'm not, by the way, when I talk about all of this, I'm not necessarily excusing it, but coming out of the 94 strike, it was an absolute show. And it was the talk of the entire summer in 98 when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were pursuing Roger Maris's single season home run record, which at the time was 61. Both blew past it. McGuire hit 70. And then a few years later, Barry Bonds hits 73 talk of baseball people knew stuff was up people were looking the other way what i don't understand in an era now where even people who love the game and i am somebody who loves baseball and i talk about this a lot where even people who love the game find it borderline unwatchable a lot of the time what is the benefit to allowing pitchers to doctor baseballs, which increase spin rate, which makes pitches harder to hit. The Major League Baseball batting average is 236 this year. 23.6% of the time, hitters get hits. Yeah, There's I not enough I, action. There's no benefit to the game. Why well, is this I, it, being allowed? It feels like it's an easy way out for the league to just say, well... It it hap it just it happens. It's part of the game. Like, is that not the message you're hearing? Because that's what I'm kind of getting. It's it's just like 
while it's going to happen, we can't really enforce the rules. How can you not enforce the rules? Like, I, that's what I'm still puzzled by. Well, it's happened through the years, right? Like Gaylord Perry was the prototypical spitballer way back in the day, right? In the 60s and 70s. Like everybody knew what he was up to. And through the years, guys have used pine tar, or mixed it with rosin, and they've come up with little concoctions. There was the big bullfrog sunscreen incident with Clay Buckholz and the allegations around that when the Red Sox rolled into Toronto in 2013. Like, this isn't new, Ziggy. It just feels like it's happening at a much higher rate than it ever has before. And the effect that it's having on pitches is what is most stark. Like, guys are increasing the spin rates on their pitches by, like, 250 to 300 revolutions per second or whatever the hell or per minute that they that they rate these th- fastballs by and these breaking pitches by. Like, the revolutions are are through the roof. And, like, Trevor Bauer, who is a pretty good pitcher in Cleveland, has now become dominant in his latter Cleveland days into Cincinnati and now with the L.A. Dodgers. And his fastball mm-hmm. has three to 400 more revolutions per minute than it did when he was a kid. You can develop some of that. But can you can you maintain it over time? People are asking questions. I think the league doesn't want to crack down on it because they're still feeling the effects of the whole Houston and Boston. Just another Stein scandal. Yeah. yeah, they don't want it. Like you, you, you think the you think the league wants another kind of cheating scandal like this? Absolutely not. They'd rather go unpunished and people guessing that they're doctoring the balls up than them actually going out and punishing teams. I don't think it looks good on the league. And the league probably, like, what are you going to do? Police it and start suspending players and teams? Like, I just, I I, I don't think they need, it would look really bad on them. The problem is, is every team is doing it. Every team is doing it. So there are guilty parties everywhere. And if you punish one, or punished too. It's like when Mike Schilt, the Cardinals manager, went nuts a week ago when Giovanni Gallegos, his reliever, had his hat confiscated on the mound. He's like, "Why are you going after Gallegos? There are much bigger names." Yeah, I just everywhere yeah. doing this, right? Yeah, well, if they're not, if they're not going to do anything about it, then let players hit with aluminum bats and cork your like. <laughs> let them. You can use anything you want at the plate. Let's just, let's go. Let's, let's all go bananas. Just, let's do it. Just let's do it. Watch Vladdy hit 520 foot bombs. Cause sure. he's got a piece of aluminum. You, in what, his hand. Yeah. Where, have whatever you want in your glove, bring out a whole cosmetic case. You just come with the whole pail to the mound. You just, you, you go behind the mound. You keep it. You put whatever you want on it. Let guys use aluminum bats, cork them, do whatever you do to hit home runs. I need all I need is a Walmart bat, but you do whatever you need to do. Oh, yeah. You do you, and let's just open let's, it all up. Let's just, uh, I hit 100 at the batting cage. <laughs> 104. 104, <laughs> he says, at the batting cage. George Springer ran the bases yesterday, and there were balloons and cake afterwards. And balloons and cake. Balloons and cake. Yep. There was a celebration. He'll be back at some point. We'll detail that. And Floyd Mayweather, did he knock out Logan Paul and then hold him up? And if so, why the hell did you plunk down money to watch it? That's coming up. 
Balloons and cake. George Springer ran the bases yesterday. Would be the radio equivalent of where George Springer is at right now. Would that be like I've been out with laryngitis for two months and before I'm allowed back on the air, I have to speak into a microphone five or six words clearly without my voice cracking? Sure. Yes. That works. Uh Uh-huh. 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 The boss listens and (laughs) passes the test. Okay, you can go on your rehab assignment. It's off to Timmins for two weeks to relearn your craft. Back to Timmins. I would love to know what's going on with Spring. Like, I would just love to know at this point, is it like, okay, we're, is it a set date you're not coming back before? Like, wasn't he caught saying like, oh, yeah, five more days or six more days, and then I'm back? Like, that's what I'm confused at. I've And, yes, I've been – it's happened to me personally. I've seen guys, you come back too early, you push it. And has that happened with Springer? Sure. It was the oblique. Then it was the quad. Like I, I just, I'm don't. I don't know what they're doing at this point. Like, was it too hanging on to him too long with the injury, and they concerned? I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't get it. Well, and I think, I think Ziggy, date, I think Ziggy. What happened is yesterday he takes a little more BP. He's been doing that a lot, batting practice, and then he runs the bases. He wakes up this morning, and if he feels good, then that's another box checked and you go through that one or two more times you feel pretty good and then they'll say okay we'll send you to triple a buffalo which is trenton new jersey right now we'll send you to trenton new jersey play a week's worth give or take a game or two a week's worth of minor league games get your swing and your timing back show us what you got in the outfield that you're coming to. He hasn't played center field and played. He hadn't played defense for the Toronto Blue Jays yet. The three and a half games he did play, he was the designated hitter. So get your feel back. Everything's good. Excellent. Now you're bring him back up. Bob's your uncle. He's, he's healthy. That, that I think is what they're looking at here. Yeah. I, and I, I said this from the start, how do you come back and DH and not, you're not well enough to play the field. I just, I thought it was a bad idea from the start, but you want to see your big signing, right? Like you want to see the guy hit. I just, right from the start, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like coming in and the guy hitting and then not playing, you know, not, he's not playing center field. I just didn't like the whole makeup of how everything kind of unfolded. It was, and when that happens, something like this, you know, will linger on. I, I just don't get it at this point, but we all want him healthy and just, you don't want him injured again. That's going to be, if you, if you don't, you don't want Springer thinking about his quad or oblique or thinking, because if you're going to do that, something bad will happen again. And it's, that's my only thing going forward with Springer is just, you know, get it out of your system, like get him back to hundred percent and wait, like that was the, that was the big thing with the second injury, right? It was my suggestion was you come back, you're healthy, and then you sit out five days. Like when are you when can you play in the outfield? When can you bat? When do you feel good? When can you sprint the bases? Whatever day that is. And then it's like I wait five days. That's what it should have been from the start. And yeah, I'm because I think this Jays team's gonna be different, right? I think they're gonna I I I think they've turned some heads already, and I think they're going to be an even tougher out for, for a lot. I know the pitching's not there, but I think from an offensive standpoint, 
I mean, can can they hit their way out of games? What's the equivalent in hockey? You know, you try to you know, outscore your defensive lapses. Can, can can the Jays do that offensively? I don't have the major league numbers for that. I'm trying to think of the hockey I, equivalent. I don't know why the Hab shorthanded goals came to mind. Probably yeah. just because it's a trigger for me at well, this point. Well, they're they're plus one on their on their penalty kill. What do they they have what four shorthanded goals and they've given up three through thirty chances. So that's pretty impressive. By the way, but- and Morosi's gonna join us at seven ten and we'll get into this. We touched on it a bit in the last segment about the doctoring of the baseballs, mm-hmm. the pitchers essentially cheating. stop and think for a second how good Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is. Yeah. He is leading the league in every offensive category that matters. And these aren't depressed numbers that he's putting up. Like he is dominating. How good would Vladimir Vladimir Guerrero Jr. be if guys weren't putting industrial strength glue on baseballs? How yeah. good would he be? How, how how much better could it be? Yeah, that's that's a great point, and he's having an MVP season. Uh, the question around Vladdy is, you know, can he keep can he keep it up? Right. That's and then you're going against Otani. Who's I think he I, can. I think I think he can too. But going against Otani right now for oh for I don't MVP care. If, I, I mean, it's a nice thing for him. I I don't care if he wins the MVP award. It's the old thing with me, Ziggy. You always hear. I always talk about this. Like if a guy finishes second, it. In, in a in an awards voting, it doesn't diminish his accomplishments. I, I would rather the Blue Jays make the playoffs and Vladdy fall short. Although if they make the playoffs, it increases the likelihood that he would win the MVP award if he keeps up this pace. But I would rather them make the playoffs and him fall short of an individual award than than vice versa. He's incredible regardless. Like, I don't think it... Like, I want Vladdy to win it. I don't think it matters. Would I rather the Jays make the playoffs? Well, of course... I also think whether Otani or Vladdy make the playoffs, I think it will affect MVP voting. That's that's me, and I know it should never, right? It's a regular season thing, and it has nothing to do about the playoffs or if your team makes it in, but it always affects it. Like, come on. Sure. I mean, it always helps you out. Well, Mike, well, Mike Trout has won more than one, I think three maybe. MVP awards, I have to go back and check. It's certainly two, maybe three. And he's only ever been in the playoffs in 2014, and the Angels got swept that year by the Royals. Outside of that, you pretty much, you have to get in. You have to get in. And with Trout, he's just such an elite player. But even the year that Miguel Cabrera, and I think it was 2012, if not it was 2013, the year Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown, which is the old school batting average, home runs, RBI. You lead the league in those three statistics, you win the Triple Crown. Very rarely ever happens. Well, Miggy won the MVP award the year he hit for the Triple Crown, and everybody was saying, actually, Mike Trout was a far better baseball player. So there's Mm -hmm. also Trout fatigue, Ziggy, and I think you know this in in hockey too. Mm -hmm. How many years in a row could Sidney Crosby have legitimately won the Hart Trophy? Every year. So, but you can't. I don't know. I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know if some kind of subconscious deal sets in with voters. Like, well, I gave it to I voted for Crosby last year, the year before, the year before. Well, that. they I can't spread do it around a little, yeah. like Drysital and McDavid. Like, you want to, you know, you want to spread it around a little bit. I, I, I get that, but I think it's tough if you don't have playoff success to to 
to be the best in the league. If you're the best in the league, how do you not take your team? And I know it's like that's one of the factors. Can you separate the player from the achievements of the team? I think it's really hard Um, because I'm trying to think of some of the greatest players I played with at any level and what kind of teams I had. And the t- the good teams that I played on that went far, that's the years they I've had the best players in the game. And I'm not saying like Sidney Crosby didn't win it every year, but if you had asked me to draft a guy and I'll start in the playoffs tomorrow, he would have been number one on my list, but he wasn't the voted the best player in the league. So it's what you, you know, I think we, when we talk about players and teams and leagues, I think it's different than if a fan talks about them. I think it's different than players in the game talk about it or management. Like there's so many different ways to view it. And does a guy need to win a championship to be in the hall of fame? Like all of that, I think all of that's part of the equation, but as a player, former player, I, de- you definitely look at it different than, you know, I, I think I look at it different now than I did when I played. It's, there's a lot of other factors back then. It was like, how much are we winning with this guy on the ice? And that was it. You didn't care about point. Like none of that really mattered. Like how does this guy make the players around him better? Does he make the team better? Can he, can he make this a winning organization? But it's not, you know, as a fan, when you're watching it, you don't want to think about like that stuff. Like that's so not irrelevant, but I want to see the goals. Now I want to see exciting teams play do I care if a guy wins? Sure. It does it matter as much as when I played? Probably not as much, but it's exciting. It's exciting to break down and talk about. So the whole thing with yeah with Vladdy and Otani, I think it's going to go right to the end. I think Vladdy's going to have to. Otani has an edge on him for sure, but well, Vladdy can't compete with the spectacle, and spectacle can have negative connotations. But you understand what I'm saying with Otani? Like he's pitching and hitting. That there's a spectacle element to that. Well, no one's do- who's done it before. Like, well, who's the last player? I mean, Babe like, Ruth I, I even... was the last. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. But, you know, Madison Bumgarner, uh, ex-San Francisco, now Arizona, has always been a pitcher who's been able to hit. And Bumgarner did DH for the San Francisco Giants in Oakland under American League rules. Uh, he either DH'd or he hit while he pitched in a game a few years ago when he was still with San Francisco. But that's a that's a one-off, and Bumgarner was a pitcher every fifth day for the Giants, and now the Diamondbacks under National League rules. So he can't DH the other four days because they don't have the designated hitter in the National League. So I suppose you could say, well, maybe there'd be somebody else who would have had consideration pre-Otani, and it's a perfect storm. He plays for an American League team so he can DH on the days that he doesn't pitch. The spectacle of that stands out. It's so unique. Plus, he throws 100 miles an hour, and he comes out of his shoes on his swings. 16 homers. Like he's oh unbelievable. <laughs> he's a special player. He's well worth staying up past our bedtimes uh, to see his first or second at bat of a, of a ball game if we're up. But Vladdy is like a complete player this year. He's not just this bopper who's leading the league in home runs. He's hitting for average. He runs the bases well. Jordan Alvarez almost matrixed him onto the outfield grass. He hit a ball so hard right at Vladdy, either Friday night or Saturday. I'm trying to remember which day it was. Vladdy fell flat on his ass, picked the ball on one hop, got up and trotted over to first base for the out. 
And this guy's been bailing out his left side infielders all year with picks on throws in the dirt. Like he, the kid is doing everything. Ziggy, he's 22 years old. I was sitting here on the weekend thinking to myself, <laughs> in seven years from now, he won't be 30 yet. Do you yeah. know how old I'll be in seven years? I won't be 50 yet, but I'll be damn close. He won't be 30 in seven years. How I had a message. They said, who is the last player to win comeback player of the year and MVP? <laughs> is that even possible? Well, I mean, it must How it can must he win comeback, but where did he go? <laughs> Where did well, he, you know what I you know what I he mean? Did, like he it didn't was, excel for three years, disappear and come back. <laughs> you come know what back I mean? From what? Like, he dropped were, fifty pounds. <laughs> I know, but you know what I mean. He didn't indulge it, in the cake and balloons when they had the celebration of, it, when George Springer ran the bases. Stayed that was off the, the cake. That's the funny part of it. It's like, well, he wasn't around last year. I'm like, well, it's I understand what they're uh, he was, cheek, but it's like he was there last funny. year. There was more of him there last year. He was there. <laughs> Man, he looks totally different. He would have. Yeah, he's appointment viewing too. It's a joke, right? He's appointment viewing. Like it's, man, is he good? And they're hanging in. Like they lost two out of three to Houston and whatever. And it sucks because they now they're going to Chicago to play the White Sox for three tomorrow night. So we have to see Tony Larusa and his little house on the prairie haircut for for three nights. I'm sure he'll say something that annoys us at some point in that series. Then they got to go to Boston and then they got the Yankees at home in Buffalo. And then the magic date, Dan Schulman has talked about this for two months, the magic date of June 18th, when the Orioles come in, that's when the schedule starts to turn in their favor. I, I hate the notion of saying, well, if they just tread water, but I'll say it. if they just tread water as they have been, and in fact, their heads are slightly above because they're above 500. If they can hang in and not have something gruesome happen to their record over the next week and a half while they play the White Sox and Red Sox on the road and then the Yankees at home in Buffalo, they got a legit chance. Plus, by mid-June, you're now into that six, six and a half, seven weeks until the trade deadline deal at the end of July and trade season begins and... You know, if Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins look at that record, the run differential is good. They're three, four, five games above 500. They're right there in a wild card spot. The division hasn't totally gotten away from them. Anything's possible. You you make an acquisition or two, help that pitching staff. Anything's possible. Uh, John Paul Morosi at 710. Andrew Raycroft will be along next hour. Dylan Sika is the general manager of the Sarnia Sting. The club made history in the OHL priority selection draft over the weekend, taking the first female in the OHL draft in history. Taya Curry is a goaltender. So we'll talk to Dylan about that selection. Donovan Bennett, Morgan Campbell on the <clears throat> Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather mess, Christopher Stieg. It's all ahead. We, we, we got to say, did Mayweather team knock team out? Yes, they won Canada. the Worlds. Yeah, IHF world champ. Well, our guy, not the world. Yeah, our guy Connor Brown. Yeah, and Nick Paul, Be- beauty, beauty setup. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, that was a hell of a saucer by Paul, and then Connor Brown back. with the soccer moves to knock it down with a skate. And they talked about it before the game. Apparently, back that's to the crazy. Hand. That's the yeah. crazy part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and they lost the first three games of that tournament. They stormed back. Another topic for that is Gerard Gallant. And did his mm, stock going? Just go up? Well, it wasn't good to start 0-3, but yeah. 
I mean, positive for Gerard Gallant. And we got we to gotta debate whether, because this is the big news of the morning, did, did Floyd Mayweather actually knock out Logan Paul and hold him up <laughs> to keep the fight going? We'll discuss. I, I, uh, all right. This is my favorite Prince tune, Little Red Corvette. Is Pretty this good, up there yeah. for you? Or Pretty, yeah, you this gotta... is up there for me. This is my top, uh, my top three or four. He would be 63 today if he was still alive. It's his uh, birthday. It's, uh... and June 7th, 1958. Died April 21st, 2016. So a little more than five years ago, which is also crazy. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it's, it's that long ago. John Paul Morosi on pitchers cheating. Sports Illustrated did a big thing on it late last week. How good is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. actually when you look at his offensive numbers and consider the fact that pitchers are cheating and it isn't bothering Vladdy in the least. George Springer ran the bases. We had balloons and cake earlier this hour to celebrate that wonderful accomplishment. And did Floyd Mayweather knock out Logan Paul and then hold him up? to keep their match going. This is the controversy. I I don't know what you're doing if you're spending 50 bucks on that thing. That's a whole other conversation that requires an office and a couch. But we will discuss whether Floyd Mayweather helped Logan Paul along last night. Lead off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I think Silent Vic is all in his feels this morning. Prince's 63rd birthday. Mm-hmm. All in his feels. This is a little slow for the morning for me. Yeah, it's... sorry. All right. I'm going to find myself <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> this is more interesting than what I have to say. Ray. I'm not going to sing. I'll just butcher it. Butcher it. So, better Paul. Mm. Nick. Logan. Jake. Mm-hmm. Two of them are YouTube heroes. The other is the overtime hero for Canada at the World Hockey mm. Championship. Oh, I like what you did right there. Yeah, I like the what ball. you did. Yeah. 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 One of them didn't get knocked out by a boxer yesterday and propped up. The other stepped up when it uh, when it counted most. Yeah. Um, what do you want to go first? You want to go? Which guy do you want to talk about? <laughs> 
Well, I left the door open. I mean, listen, this whole this whole Logan Morgan Campbell's going to join us in a little more than an hour to talk about Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. And I say this without judgment because I can only speak for myself. On what planet is this appealing? For who? And, and, us or well, for them? No, but I mean, and then I sit there and it's like, well, it's it's a football stadium in Miami. People go to this event. People buy this event. They plunk down $50 to watch a celebrity box one of the greatest boxers of all time, Floyd Mayweather, who's 44 years old and is doing this obviously just to cash in. There's footage. Jeff Rahoman, our buddy at 680 News, tweeted out footage. Very clearly, Floyd Mayweather clocked Logan Paul, knocked him out, then propped him up, let him come to a little bit. And the fight kept going, and they just danced around the ring as the crowd booed in the final round. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know who this appeals to. I don't know what this is for. I understand what the combatants are interested in. It it can't possibly appeal to old school or diehard boxing fans. And at some point, the pornography of it, as I like to describe it, which is just the holy crap, you see enough of these things, you get used to it. The shock and awe wears off. I, I don't understand who that appeals to. And yet there are many. So maybe I'm just out on an island all by well, myself. Mil- millions of people are are buying it. That's what my it, point. 50, it's, I don't it's 50, get it. It's 50, it's 50 bucks. While Mayweather is apparently making $10 million guaranteed, Logan Paul's getting 250 As a downside. As a downside guarantee with a chance to get into well, seven figures. Yeah, he gets 10% of the pay-per-view box. Uh, May uh, Mayweather gets fifty percent of it, so yeah. I mean, it's I like Would, everyone did you wants, buy this thing. Did you buy? I it? didn't. Bu- I didn't buy this one, but I I bought the earlier one. Who was it? Who, 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 what was the first fight I bought? Remember, we guys were making fun of me forever. I don't even remember that's who fought. How, that's it how so much bad. it stands out to me. I mean, there was Tyson Roy Jones. And Jake Tyson uh, Roy Jones, okay. Jake or Paul, Jake or Logan, Whatever. one of the Paul brothers bought, was on the undercard. Yes, yes, I bought that one. It was, it's entertainment. And if you, if you ask the majority of people, were you entertained by it? Most of them will say yes. Like, I think you're going to have a small crowd of people that want their money back. But the majority of people that actually paid 50 bucks. Just hold on a second. I want to stop here. I want, you make fun of me. For being a pro wrestling fan. <laughs> this is the equivalent of pro wrestling. It's very close. <laughs> it's very you can't close. Ever make fun of the fact. It's what I'm into. See, like I I obviously the whole wrestling thing started out as a like a one day joke and it turned into like a two year thing because it was funny to run with how many oh, people it ups it it upsets so many people though, and that's why we ran with it, obviously. Well but <laughs> I get that. Yeah, like these 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 exhibition boxing matches, it's a spectacle entertainment. If I, I, I we're sit here we're sitting here talking about it, like that's that's how I, I think that's how relevant well, it here's is. A if it tweet wasn't relevant, a, here, we wouldn't talk about here's it. Here's a tweet from a 705 number. People watch the fight to see Paul get knocked out because he's a punk and a loser. That's all. Except, is he a loser? Look at the money he's making. Like, yeah. he got you. You didn't get him. 
he got you for 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I'm not a huge boxing fan and I'm still I'm I'm kind of interested to see what would happen. The whole and I have I did watch over the highlights this morning and did did Mayweather hold up Paul? I'd say he did. He well, did. You, know, you know Mayweather could not come out in two four seconds. and a half two four seconds. and a half seconds. Yeah, like it, that's the whole part of it. If they were just gonna go imagine if they went in there and like, okay, let's just start throwing how long can Paul stay up? Like, I think that would have been kind of interesting and I don't want anyone to get hurt, but I don't know. It's, this is, this is like one of the best boxers in the world. Like what, what do you, maybe of all time? Like, what do you, what do you expect? Go back and watch his old fights. Then go back and watch Floyd in his prime against Pacquiao against others. McGregor in 2017, Connor McGregor. You can't even read. Yeah. Well, you know what this tells me about boxing is that, like, yeah, they're going to have millions of people watching that, but I think the sport's hurting big time. That's what I got out of that last, like, that's what I got out of it. Well, we'll talk to Morgan Campbell in an hour. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, I, 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 I think boxing is hurting. When I see something like that, that's what they have to put on to gain relevance in, in the fighting world. That's what I was thinking of watching yeah, the highlights. But Paul's in business with, you know, some pals putting these cards together. And and so I think that there are still legitimate shows, legitimate pay-per-views that that the diehards know about and watch. This this reaches a broader audience. It's like the Kardashians, right? Like yeah. we all know who the Kardashians are, whether we want to or not. We all know who the Paul brothers are, whether we want to or not. And so they venture into this. And Floyd Mayweather is always down for an eight nine figure payday. Uh, however much he can make, and you end up with a with a spectacle. I what I don't understand is 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 the appeal of it. So you you said that look, it's the spectacle. We had a texter write in and say people just want to see Logan Paul get his ass kicked. Well, I'm telling you right now, like he didn't get his ass kicked as much as his ass could have been kicked. And so the joke is on us when we buy this thing because it only encourages it to happen again. Logan Paul is we could have been knocked out in two seconds. Instead, they went eight rounds. So it is no different than a professional wrestling pay-per-view. And all I've ever been made fun of is my professional wrestling fandom. Yeah. That's over now, Ziggy. That's <laughs> over now. Uh, John Paul Morosi is with us from MLB Network and Sirius XM MLB Radio. The Blue Jays dropped two of three to the Houston Astros over the weekend. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. continues to tear the cover off the ball. And the Jays are a week and a half away from the schedule easing. But they have to get through three in Chicago against the White Sox, three in Boston, who just swept the Yankees at Yankee Stadium this weekend, culminating last night. The Red Sox are red hot. Then the Jays host the Yankees before Baltimore finally comes in. Uh, Mr. Morosi is with us bright and early on a Monday morning. What's up, pal? Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I, I should begin, begin by saying I have no idea who the Paul brothers are. Good for you. God bless you. This puts me about, in that unique category where, as you said, everybody knows who they are. I'm thinking to myself, uh, I, I didn't, that wasn't part of my syllabus. I have, I have no idea who they are. So, uh, Not part I, of I your what? Can, 
Uh, your pardon me? My, your my, my syllabus? syllabus. Is it like the, like the class syllabus. You know, like the, I, I didn't learn that syllabus, in my, class syllabus. In my it's like a broadcasting class. Curriculum, yeah. How about the Kardashians? Yeah. I, I am familiar with the Kardashians, yes. <laughs> You're I, familiar I, with I, the I Kardashians? Are, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I'm familiar with the family, um, uh, but uh, I've never been the you first. You have one. a favorite. <laughs> You're familiar. You're familiar with Kim and Chloe, or you're yeah, familiar with the dad who was one of OJ's pals and lawyers back in the mid '90s. Well, well, that that was, of course, how how we originally were introduced to the family, and so uh, I first became aware of of, the, of their father Robert, and then uh, I suppose, like like the rest of America, became familiar with their work in the pop culture realm. So, so I am not. I am not. Too much of a, of a baseball, hockey person, full stop, that, that, that I was not able to uh, ascertain who they are. Although I do, I, I will say this, I will add in soccer, especially we've got the Euros starting this week. Lots of great stuff going on. But I, I, I digress. I, I think we were supposed to talk about the Blue Jays. But I actually should point out before we do anything else, congratulations to Canada on winning men's world. That was a great tournament. Thank well you. Done. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And you will be cheering for Scotland at the Euro 2021. Uh, mi dispiace molto. Sto guardando solo la squadra italiana. Penso che Italia vincerà durante questo torneo. Very, anyway, very good. Go. I, that sounds like you're probably from the Isle of Skye. Um, <laughs> maybe Edinburgh. Maybe Glasgow. I mean, I can expect to r- run into you at a pub in, uh, in beautiful good. downtown Scotland. Uh, John Paul Morosi is, is with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Okay, so... Apparently, pitchers are cheating in a stunning development. Can you attempt to explain to me the benefit to the sport? I can explain to you, John, the benefit of the roid users in the late 90s, early 2000s, coming out of the 1994 strike and how McGuire and Sosa in 98 and then Bonds through uh, really 2001 in, at his peak, brought the game back to relevance and daily conversation with their home run pursuits. Even people who love the sport as much as you and I do gripe sometimes about the lack of activity during games. What is the benefit for the sport of this type of cheating, pitchers doctoring balls to the extent that they are? Well, I think, Scott, it's a very fair point, and this is why we are seeing the, the league now take a, an especially uh, proactive approach to trying to eliminate this form of cheating. It is cheating. Uh, let's, let's be clear about this. If, if you're bringing foreign substances with you to the mound and, and keeping them on your body in a way that you're able to draw from it and, and put substances on the ball – you are you are cheating the game, and I think Scott, to your question, the reason why we are seeing something of a rare mid-year change in enforcement, according to multiple reports, is that the commissioner's office, I think correctly, is looking at this and saying, "Wait a minute, what we're seeing cheating happening, and it's resulting in a less appealing product. We've got to change this. We have to make this better." And so I think that's why they did this survey for the first couple months of the season. And listen, I think while perhaps it is uncommon 
for the game to to change enforcement methods in the middle of the season. I would point out that we actually had instant replay start in the middle of the year uh, about a decade ago. And, and, and in general, we're at a time where where things are changing so quickly in terms of what people enjoy watching, how they like to watch it, uh, what sports they're investing their, their emotions in. You can't wait until the end of the season and then start fresh next year, especially with all the uncertainty surrounding labor relations. You see a problem. You've taken two months to, to take balls out of play and, and to examine the, the, the situation in great detail scientifically, and you have concluded that there's a problem. So fix the problem. And so I, I support what baseball is doing here. I think it's the right approach. And who knows, if, if we're seeing diminished spin rates quickly for pitchers, now that things are being enforced, maybe we will at long last see a, an increase in, in the number of balls in play, which we've been talking about for years. Why haven't we seen any pitchers come out or any players talk about it? Is it be, just because it's in, in every clubhouse and it's been going on for so long? I just I don't I don't well, I, I, I think Mike that that's that's a fair point that that it's become first of all that there is a certain uh, off the record quality to commentary about it we have seen a handful of, of people talking about it more directly on the record it's been it's been pretty quiet to begin things but I think especially as you're seeing players especially you know potentially hitters uh, losing their jobs in the major leagues and, and and there being some concern about what's happening there where I, I do think more and more players are, are speaking out about it. And we're probably at a point now where, especially this week and next week, as, as access around the major leagues is changing from a media standpoint where uh, some conversations are now being allowed uh, at the field level, at least outside. We're not back in the clubhouse, of course, but we're on the field again very soon. That, that those types of conversations and, and just getting information about what players have to say about it is, is going to become more, more normal, and we're going to hear people speaking out about it. I mean, this is a, a front-burner topic that, that really gets at the essence of the game, which is how often are hitters making contact with a baseball. I mean, there are fewer things in the sport that are more important than that. And so I, I think that as the offensive players are starting to now say, listen, we, we understand a, a – baseline small degree of substance especially when you're in Colorado to help a pitcher get a grip on a ball so that way he doesn't throw it at your head there's an understanding that that's part of the sport and has been but what I think the offensive players and what this survey has concluded is that that it's being abused and once it starts getting abused and the game starts looking different than it has for basically all of our lifetimes then you have to step in. And I think that we're going to – this, I would say, Mike, it, it's got – this is all a very real-time conversation. This is going to – you're going to start hearing more and more players, especially hitters, talking about this in the next 10 days, I believe, to the point that enforcement's going to ramp up and uh, we might see a very different major league product, which, again, is the idea here. Baseball is enforcing this because they want to see the product that we're all watching – change for the better sports illustrated did a great piece on it and got a bunch of anonymous sources there's one i believe national league reliever who set off the security at the airport you know ding 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 as he walks through and you got explosives on your hands well no i don't i was just doctoring a, a baseball apparently a ball ended up in a in an opposing dugout a week or two ago 
and it was so heavily doctored that the players could see the fingerprints belonging to the pitcher on the baseball because the substance was so wow. thick coating the ball. Like, it, it's just it's stuff like this. And, you know, John, I used this example late last week. I'll bring it back to the forefront now. Trevor Bauer of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Dodgers are one of the teams at the forefront of the enhanced spin rate, which, of course, draws one to conclude that the Dodgers are up to something. And if they are, they're certainly not alone. They're paying Trevor Bauer more than $40 million a year to pitch for them. A free agent contract he signed with them in the offseason. If Trevor Bauer diminishes here or regresses because he's not allowed to do whatever it is he's allegedly likely doing, that is one, and I know the term isn't that significant. It's not a seven-year contract, but that is that is not what the Dodgers are paying for. So there's that push, and there's going to be push and pull on this too. I have no doubt about that. Well, it's an interesting point. I, I would think that Bauer... And again, well, we don't know names. We don't know exactly what's happening here um, in terms of who the offenders are at the moment. Uh, Bauer, I would say in general, has been he's been great for a short period of time, uh, but he's been very good for a long period of time. And so I, I, I do think uh, Bauer has, has succeeded long enough in different ways that I would believe that he's going to be able to continue to be successful no matter what is or is not happening. Uh, but but I, I think that you're right that we could see teams that are uh, that are pitching very well. That if if a, a couple pitchers have to change the way they're doing things, we could all of a sudden see a team going great. All of, then change it and becomes much more mediocre. I mean, it is it is rare to see this happen in the middle of a season. And and you're right that that certainly whether it's a free agent contract or a, a young player coming up. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, how, if at all, performances change. And to your point, and both of you guys know this, baseball being such a mental game, sometimes just thinking that you're not going to have your best stuff all the time changes pitchers' mentality and then changes where they're throwing, how confident they are in their stuff, where the ball's going, what pitches they throw or shy away from. All of these things are happening in real time. And so if you have a pitcher out there who all of a sudden doesn't feel like he has an A-level fastball anymore, there's going to be a, a phenomenal trickle-down effect from that. So this is, guys, we're talking about a very unique time in the game that, that I think uh, the next couple of weeks are going to be really interesting to watch. And we just have to, just like baseball has done here, just observe. Uh, the, the, the numbers will speak for themselves. And, and it's going to be a very interesting time to analyze what's happening on the field. How quietly does the league want to handle this? And I'm asking that because me and Scotty were discussing uh, about, obviously, the sign stealing. Does this, does this, you know, have any effect on how it handled that whole thing around the Astros and, um, you know, what the, what the league's doing with cheating? Well, it's an interesting point because, Mike, as you point out, with the, with the sign stealing situation with the Astros, remember this, as we all know, there were no players suspended. Now, it was interesting, Buster Olney had reported over the weekend that one of the possible um, ramifications that's been discussed, and again, the union's approval on this would be crucial, but certainly a lot of union members 
want this cleaned up because a lot of union members are offensive players who are batting 201 right now. Um, and and so let's say there's, as Buster reported, the possibility of a suspension without pay for 10 days. And so if that's the case, my gosh, we might wake up in the morning and, and hey, here's your news release of, of the following players who are suspended for 10 days without pay for, for violating the competitive integrity of the sport. And how do we then, uh, how do we place that player's legacy or their, their overall sportsmanship and, and place in the game. I mean, this is, this is a really interesting dilemma. And, and Scott, you brought up earlier the, 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 the steroid era. Well, I would point out that basically a 10 day, I think it was 10 days suspension without pay. It might've been 15 was the first suspension that was given uh, for, for PEDs. That was the first suspension that in terms of the increment of the number of days and it gradually increased to where we are right now i I do think that enforcement has a a lot to do with this and and if you want to make an example out of people pretty quickly and say listen we know what's going on we have the ability to analyze the baseballs we have the ability to analyze tape we know who's going to their belt who's going to their cap uh, the the bill of their cap who's going to their wrist who's going anywhere where you can put bullfrog, sunscreen, or whatever else it might be, when they're able to analyze that and, and catch you, and if you're going to lose 10 days without pay that's, and, and have your name plastered all over the place, that's, that's some pretty significant consequences. And I do think that they're going to want to make an example out of people to try to get the game back to being what it, what it has been in the past. Well, and how good is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this year? Uh, numbers oh, numbers hey, by hey, the I numbers by... up this morning. Uh, so he is on pace to be the youngest ever 50 home run hitter in baseball history. Think about that for a second. He's on pace for 52, and the, the rest of the top three, so right now uh, the, the leaders among the 22 and under crowd ever for, uh, for a, a hitter of that age, Eddie Matthews, Joe DiMaggio, <laughs> Johnny Bench. I mean, it's, these are Hall of Fame players. And it's it's been great to watch Vlad do what he's doing. It's just it's they're a fun team to watch. I, I wish the Jays were getting more innings from their starting pitchers to make them a real uh, contender for for a, a World Series going forward. But my gosh, they've got the best power hitter in the game right now, and it's so much fun to watch Vlad do what he does. Well, yeah, and I just the fact that he's doing it at an apparently unprecedented time of pitcher cheating. Yes, it, I mean adds Correct. adds just another layer to it, right? It's it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave yeah, it there. Great point, Scotty, on you, that. Great point. Do you want to exit with a little more props for Italy? I mean, you're getting some love on Twitter for this, so. Am fun. I? Well, great. Well, I would say, in bocca lupo a questa squadra italiana, il allenatore Roberto Mancini, è più importante di, di barcare di, di Ciro Immobile. Immobile is the key guy. They need some offense there with Immobile, Belotti, Insigne. I'm watching those guys carefully. The midfield's great. Locatelli, very good. And the defense, of course, as you guys well know, always solid for the Italians. So, in bocca lupo a, a, a questo azzurri. Ever a plagiarist, John? I mean, you just took my entire take. You just took my know, entire... My, my bad. Me dispiace molto, mio caro amico. Yes. <laughs> Have a wonderful week, pal. We'll do it again next Monday, and uh, can't wait for Euro 2021. We'll, 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 keep, we'll keep our eyes on it as we talk baseball. I love it. Buona settimana, guys. Always enjoy the conversation. You bet. Uh, John Paul Morosi of MLB Network and Sirius XM MLB Radio. Donovan Bennett at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. We'll get into Kawhi. 
We'll get into <laughs> Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> Logan Paul. I just this uh, Blue Jays, uh, the Leafs. How angry should we be as Leafs fans that the Habs are waxing the Jets? Dylan Sika is the general manager of the Sarnia Sting. They made history drafting Taya Curry, a goaltender, the first female to be taken in the OHL priority selection draft. So we'll talk to Dylan about that. And Andrew Raycroft coming up on the other side. Of course, we'll get into the Bruins and we'll rub more salt in the wounds of us Leaf fans watching the Habs dominate. Listening to leadoff with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's Prince's 63rd birthday, so we figured we'd find a guy who owns a little red Corvette. Here he is from Nesson, former Leafs goaltender Andrew Raycroft is with us. And he may I, he may not have a Corvette because he's brought to us by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I was going to say, yeah, he's probably got one of those, like, the eco-friendly electric car. I, 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 I that's my he yeah, he's one of yeah. Oh yeah? Yeah, he's climate ahead of change. The curve. Ask him. Yeah, oh yeah. All way back in the day. He used to drive a Prius when he was in Toronto. There you go. That's yeah. a I it this tells Is you it, what I know about cars. I didn't know the Prius think, existed think, back in like 06. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he doesn't want to pipe in because he knows he's got. He knows he has nothing right now. It's okay to be environmentally to friendly. <laughs> I'm ready to pipe in. So I mean, you've got a bit of the story right, Ziggy. Glad you know. I'm glad we've been friends for this long. But uh, I have a 2010 Prius that I still drive to this day that I bought in Dallas uh, at the time of the new Prius. So it has 160,000 miles on it. The best purchase I've ever made. And but it's on its last legs. It really is. I, I don't have too much to go, but my wife's all over me about it. Um, but I'm hanging on with it. She's my my baby. Okay. So it, it it's getting to that point where there's some four figure jobs that are cropping up. And yeah, as well as every time I get in, it's like, is this the day that I get stuck on the side of the road? You know, with something. That, that comes up out of nowhere, and it's probably not a feeling I really need to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not just a feeling, not an experience uh, that you really want to have. Uh, Correct. Let's, Correct. Uh, let's start to do a deep dive into uh, what's going on in these Stanley Cup playoffs. So I threw out a troll poll, and it was probably my worst troll job yet, Razor, but I figured, what the hell, I was in a mood on Sunday night. So the leadoff Monday troll poll is if the Leafs had beaten the Habs, the current Leafs-Jets series would be 
three nothing Toronto, two one Toronto, two one Winnipeg, three nothing Winnipeg. And I got a lot of responses that I expected, which is, why don't you let it go? Who the hell cares? Blah, 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 blah. Yet somehow we've managed almost 1,400 votes on this thing. And opinion is divided. I'm not going to ask you what you think it would be if it was Leafs-Jets, but let's be honest. Leafs fans in this market are angrier than they've been, I would say, in, in decades because of the expectation tied to this team. And it doesn't feel very good watching the Montreal Canadiens roll over the would-have-been Maple Leaf second-round opponent. I couldn't agree more, and I, and I would imagine that. Now think about next series. What if Montreal rolls Colorado or Vegas? That's too? not. That can't happen. Then, then what are we doing? Uh, then what is your poll going to look like? And uh, yeah, I, I would. I, I mean, you got to imagine Toronto would or beat the doors off Winnipeg, just like Montreal is. Um, and it also goes to maybe Toronto got a little unlucky facing a Montreal team that was better than what they were down the stretch and through injuries and a coaching change that this is the team that was good at the start of the season, and that's their real team. So uh, you could look at that as an unfortunate way the Leafs ended up with these guys and not Winnipeg or Edmonton, who, who obviously aren't very good. And it, it is hard. I, I, I told Scotty, it's hard to watch the series after you, you get, just get knocked out and to see how you would have done against that next opponent. What was that like for you as a player when you played, when you know you, you exit a playoffs? Do you keep an eye on how far that team that beat you goes to see you know what could have been? Absolutely. And, and the worst for me was, was Vancouver. We lost to Chicago. Chicago goes on to handily beat Philadelphia in the Stanley Cup Finals. We lost to them in six games, lost all the games at home. Uh, had a chance was you know felt like we could have won the series and then you watch Chicago roll through the finals uh, and win a Stanley Cup that that's that's a tough one it, it is and if you know that it's not it doesn't make any sense because things change but but when you when you watch it you just compare like you said Ziggy uh, we would have done this just as well we would have done this just as well we would have easily won and uh, it's 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 hard especially when you have a heartbreaking loss like the Leafs did uh, this season. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Montreal, although I'd like to take something away from Montreal. Um, you know, John Tavares goes down in the first game of the first round series. Mark Shifley does something stupid and is in the middle of paying a very steep price for doing so. And so that has served as attrition for the Jets they also lost Dylan DeMello in that in that same game um you, you know how far do you think Montreal can take this razor because people are starting to invoke 1993 and quite frankly I'm not here for it <laughs> well that's and that I mean how sentimental is that that's a that was a glorious time for any Canadian fan and hockey fan really it was it was a special run in 93 I think the one thing that you have to remember is that attrition is part of winning this thing and the, the team that dodges bullets throughout this run and listen three days ago Colorado was going to win 16 straight no one's going to touch them they're winning the cup. Just give it to them. What's the point of playing? They're so much better than everyone else. And now 
they get the doors beat off by Vegas in three straight games. They're lucky to win one of them, and now they're feel they probably feel like they're on the ropes out there. And then, you know, so Vegas beat knocks them out. Let's let's run the story a little bit. Vegas beats them out. Mark Andre Fleury gets hurt in Game One of the Canadians Vegas series, and then all of a sudden, something else happens, right? And then Montreal's in the final. So. It is a war of attrition. You don't. Ex- I didn't expect them to get past five games against Toronto. Uh, you don't expect them to beat the next guy, but we've seen crazy things in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's why it's fun. And right now, more than any season ever, the war of attrition is going to be a big process in the next two rounds. Still a long su- way to go. There's still a long way to yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. Um- are you surprised by what Carey Price is doing right now? No. His ability to elevate his game is unmatched in the goalie position throughout the league. It's similar to Marty Brodeur. He's kind of a lot. Even Patrick was like that a little bit where he would have, he would have lulls in seasons and he wouldn't be able to – he wouldn't be as fired up maybe in January, February – and then as soon as the playoffs come, Marty and Patrick would be able to be so much better. And, and I, I wasn't around for Patrick, but seeing it with Marty, it was always amazing that, you know, I had to grind so hard every day of the regular season to be pretty good. And for him, it was so obvious that the regular season was easy, and he, just, he was getting ready for the playoffs. And, and carries the one that does that now better than anybody. It's, it's amazing how much more dialed in. You can see his movement, his skating. It's so much sharper and crisper and his focus than, than what you can sometimes see in, in January and February. Yeah, and, and just to, to follow up on that, just Hellebuck at the other end. You ex- we, I think we kind of expected the goalie duel, right? And we just we haven't seen it, right? It just... We haven't had that battle that we expected coming into it. It's just like, uh, I don't know if it's the Canadians getting to Hellebuck. Is Hellebuck tired at this point of the season? But it, it just doesn't seem like he's the same goalie he was during the regular season. He looks, t- he looks tired, doesn't he? Yeah. Maybe, or a little, little mentally drained. And listen, Winnipeg gives up tons of chances. They're, they're expected goals. You look at their analytics throughout the season. I mean, they, they, they were lucky to be where they were, and they were lucky Hellebuck was as good as he was because they give up so many high-danger chances compared to everybody else that 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 some point that's going to get you. And they dodged Edmonton with three overtime wins, but Montreal looks like they, they've got them. With Andrew Raycroft on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans. Ziggy, jump in on this one, too. Like, are you... You guys seeing anything specifically that Montreal is doing on its penalty kill that leads to the success it's having offensively shorthanded? Or is this just a heater? Are they just on a run here? Because surely to God, they can't they can't keep up a goal a game pace shorthanded goals. No, they're on a heater for sure. I, I will say watching the game last night and Alex Burroughs has his fingers all over the special teams. The power play that they work behind the net, a la Henrik and Daniel Sedin, Alex Burroughs in front of the net just standing there, that is exactly what they did in Vancouver. There's little pieces of that with the Twins, how they work that. And same with the penalty kill. Alex Burroughs 
and Ryan Kessler were a very good penalty-killing duo as forwards. They were very good at getting offensive together, understanding when the timing was, when they could go, reading off each other. And, and watching that, I was thinking, Alex has really done a lot for this team, especially special teams, because I see a lot of similarities when what guys were doing in Vancouver. And, and Danny and Henrik are two pretty good guys to learn from those things from. Yeah, well, I, I think I've, I've penalty killed at the NHL and the NHL level, and I, I your best penalty killer has to be your goaltender. And I don't want to keep going back to Carey Price, but it, it, it really is. The best penalty kills I've been on is the guy you can trust back there. Um, he just gives you confidence, right? And I, I was... Razor, you can you can follow up on this, but I I felt as a player when a goaltender had it going on when he was you know when he was dealing it was it just it allowed you a little bit more freedom to either take an extra chance, um, give up something in your own end that maybe if you didn't have confidence you'd always be overplaying situations right. And when I had that when you had that guy back there, and I think the Canadians the fact they do have Price in net is giving that penalty kill a little bit more confidence. They are taking chances. They are scoring goals off their penalty kill. And it's just, it's something that I think that when you have a guy like that back there, it changes it. I don't know if guys would come up to you and tell you or what penalty kills like were for goaltenders. It just calms you, right? Guys that talk back there, guys that play the puck. There's a lot of things that Price is doing right now that, I think are are have really changed what the Canadians how they're playing and why they're they're why they're up three nothing right now. You, you never second guess your read, right, Zig? You yeah. see the play and you go. You don't have to think, oh man, if I go and the puck gets to the point, is that point shot going to go into my goaltender? You, you're you're not even thinking that there's a goal. You just I'm going. This is my job. And someone's going to back me up if I if it doesn't work out. And that's what, to your point, that's what the goaltender does is that 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 forward's going down the wall no matter what because he knows that's his play, that's his read, and the goalie's got the shot. Is there vinegar in the chowder in Boston right now? Two two with Barry Trotz's Islanders. Uh, I mean, the little engine that could on Long Island keeps keeps plugging, man. You you got a series there. I mean, that's that one seems destined to go the distance. It feels that way. It feels that way. And there is a little bit of vinegar, I think, after 2-1. The, the idea was to go 3-1 and, and roll f- in five games. And Islanders had a, had a different storyline. And the, the big issue here is that the Bruins' third and fourth lines have been very poor. And, and the Islanders have had depth forwards all the way through. And they on the island, they took advantage of, of mismatches, and Matt Barzell got going. And that's, that's the danger one for here in Boston is that they had a really good matchup for Barzell the last two games against the third line, and they took advantage. And it's a series, so they're looking. Uh, everybody's staring down the barrel of a Game 7 series. There's no question. Speaking of a Barzell, how about the four cross-checks in the corner on Krejci? Krejci gives one little kind of love tap. Um and he gets the penalty. Where, where, what did you think of that, how that all unfolded? Bruins took a few retaliatory penalties. Pasternak did the same thing on Clutterbuck. Those guys are getting on their skin. And, yeah, I, I mean, yes, the, the five cross-checks, you watch and you're, you, you wonder, you know, how much that hurts in the kidneys and in the ribs and how is the league going to fix these little shots like that when you compare it to the, the little riser that creates, you know, 
the love tap he gave back, and uh, that was just a, an older, older veteran player <laughs> being very aggravated by a pesky guy cross-checking him in the back five times. It's well, a bad look for the league, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just it's just like five hard cross checks to the back, and then like, okay, I get a spear or something really dangerous, but that was, I mean, that was not a spear. I've, I've yeah. had I've had hundreds of them. Like they're not pleasant, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get up and, and skate off at some point. Yeah, Barzell looks like he got shot by forty four. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pal. Good luck on the side of the road if it happens. Uh, we, we'd we'd be there I'll to help first, Scotty. We'd we'd be there to help, but we're not allowed to cross the border. So, oh, come on. yeah, soon, please. I want to. He's he's uh, Razor's really in his car. Razor's in his car doing this, uh, talking to us right now on the way to the golf course too. That's like the worst part about this. <laughs> oh, there's he's no in question. his car right now. He's in his car. He's at the country no. club right now, waiting to go golf right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my landline for you guys, just for you guys. I'm on the landline, but yes, I'll be at the country club soon. In your vehicle, in your vehicle, powered by water. Get there safely and uh, enjoy the golf, pal. Thanks for this. We'll talk next week. Sounds great, guys. Take care. Andrew Raycroft of Nesson and uh, former Leafs goaltender brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Donovan Bennett at the top of the hour. Next, the general manager of the OHL Sarnia Sting, Dylan Sika. Taya Curry, a goaltender, just became the first female to be drafted in the OHL Priority Selection Draft over the weekend. We will talk to Dylan about Taya and just the state of the OHL after a lost season due to COVID. And uh, we're pleased to be uh, joined on the program now by the general manager of the OHL Sarnia Sting, Dylan Sika, the clubmate history over the weekend, selecting 16-year-old goaltender Taya Curry in the OHL Priority Selection. She becomes the first female to be drafted into the OHL. And I'll just do a little read-up on on Taya. 16 years old from Park Hill, Ontario. Went 267th overall, obviously, to Sarnia. And she's touted as one of the um, top goaltenders per Alliance Hockey, uh, having played for the Elgin Middlesex Chiefs AAA Boys under-16 team. So a terrific talent here. And uh, Dylan Sika, the GM of the Sting, uh, to discuss that. Uh, Mr. Sika, good morning. How are you? Morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So, I mean, y- your club makes history, and uh, I would imagine that that is a-, a bit of an aside because you would never draft a player that that you didn't believe in. Taya Curry makes history over the weekend. What about her stood out to you and, and your scouts? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm glad you mentioned like that. To, to us, that's the narrative. Um, you know, uh, a, a great little goaltender from a from a team that's you know, arguably one of the better ones in Ontario. And I'll be in the year we really couldn't see, you know, a ton of traditional hockey. You know, but our scouts and myself, that's that's when we watched her. You know, that's we picked up on athletic kid, um, very agile, competitive. In our goaltending coach, you know, the things that we look at in goaltenders are those kind of tangibles, right? Uh, loves to challenge the puck, you know, great teammates, you know, the background work that we did all, all came off the charts. And, you know, we, we definitely are cognizant of the, you know, the barrier breaking scenario that would, would have unfolded once we uh, selected her. But, 
yeah, the narrative for us was, you know, uh, you know, a great little goaltender and a great kid and someone that won huge games for our hockey team, you know, throughout this year and even in her band in here. And it was not, it was an easy hockey related decision for us. How is it going to work going forward? I, I, I'm I'm buddies with uh, Frankie Palzies, who's your goaltending mm-hmm. coach. Work with him at UFT. I'm an assistant coach there, but you know, yeah, you know, talked to him this weekend. Just her speed, mobility, positioning, angles. But he wants to, you know, wants to work with the goaltenders. How is this all working with COVID right now and and trying to get in touch with the prospects going forward? Yeah, I know Frankie, a phenomenal guy, Mike. Uh, so for you know, for us, and even just with her specifically, like and like any goaltender that we draft, I mean, now there's a development process. So you know, we'll use Frankie to touch base with 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 Taya, no differently. Well, you know, our goaltender we draft in the fifteenth round too, uh, and the idea behind that is let's just get them on the ice and hopefully around you know our goaltending coach and our and the rest of our staff as much as we can and. The COVID protocol now will will limit what we would traditionally do. We'd love to have some kind of spring camp and 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 you know an orientation style. We won't be able to do that, so we'll do something virtual later this week. And hopefully, when the doors open up and we can get back to seemingly reality, then the idea is to get you know all of our prospects around you know our coaching staff to to see what we have. I mean, that's that's reality, right? At the end of the day, we we dropped the sixteen players. You know, we're celebrating our first round pick, and I'm happy to talk about about Tay and, and how awesome this is. But the reality is, you know everyone's going to crack at it and we'll treat her like no one else with Dylan Sika the uh, general manager of the Sarnia Sting I mean just just from the scouting that you do Dylan do you sense that trend might be the the wrong word here but but do you think that this barrier breaking moment will lead to more females being drafted into the OHL and and given a legitimate opportunity to make the teams that draft them I, I, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that question. And before we selected her, this was our thought. We thought, you know, we're happy with the hockey-related decision and the rest of it. We thought, you know, we do, we're, we're cognizant, like I said, right, this is a barrier-breaking scenario. So if that's the, the, the residual, you know, spin-off of this is that it, it creates a tension for, for females and whether that be in the, in the boys' or the men's side or whether maybe it, 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 you know, puts more interest in the women's side. That That's what we, you know, we're happy to partner in that scenario. We partnered with Carolyn Prevost. She's a PWPHA player. She's a Sarnia native and as a women's ambassador, our goal is like, how do we help drive women's hockey? So, you know, in, in taking Taya, we thought, right, this is this is going to open some doors and, and let's hope that that happens. You know, on the women's side, uh, whether it be with the men's side, yes, that's uh, a, a great positive residual situation. And we also realize it's great for her and her career too. So we're happy to partner uh, with her, like I said. I've been doing a bit of development work with minor hockey players in Toronto and the 2005 class was the group I worked with, but, um, you know, you got a couple special players in McDonnell and Lalkin and, um, I think Lalkin in the second round was probably one of the biggest steals of the draft. How hard was that this year deciding who to get? Oh, we watched more video, Mike, than I would have ever (laughs) imagined. Um, difficult, hard in the sense because you trust your your instinct after multiple viewings, right? All of your staff, you've got, you know, you know 20, 30 viewings. And, and the, the video seems to be the supplementary part of it all. <laughs> this year, it was, the, it was the opposite. The video drove our scouting and the odd arena we could get into, we were fortunate to do so. 
you know, I, I'm glad we mentioned that, you know, Angus McDonnell and, and Ben Malkin, like those are two, you know, we think could be dynamic players in our league. I'll tell you the debate on Ben was not long. Once uh, his name was there at that point, uh, we were uh, scrambling to get his name into the game, you know, so we could, we could celebrate both of those two players. What has the last 15, 16 months been like? Dylan, I, I, I mean, we've all lived our own experience in COVID. I, I understand that. But ever since the OHL season shut down in early 2020, you've now lost a full season subsequently. I'd imagine, aside from just being frustrated, it, it's, it, it's got to just be, I mean, life-changing from the way you talked about all the video you've watched not yeah. sure when the sport's going to come back, et cetera. We're hopeful for the fall. People are getting vaccinated, all of that stuff. But what's the last year and a bit been like for you? Uh, I think the biggest challenge, and I know in our organization, we, we really put a lot of energy and effort into like the mental health of the player and, and the people that are prospects and our current guys. That, that, was the, that was the thing that I feel... I think, and we've come out of this in, in a such more positive way. We partnered with a mental performance coach, and we did some initiatives that we likely would have never done in the past. You know, the, the virtual meetings, uh, weekly touching base. But that, that was the biggest challenge was maintaining their their mental health. And you know, while they're they're athletes. You know, they're passionate. They really want to be part of it. And, and we were on the edge of our seats throughout the winter, waiting and being ready to go and, and having it. But that was their, probably the biggest concern that we had is how do we make sure that they're okay? And then the reality was I think our league did a great job with, you know, working to try to get us to a point where we could play. And then we know now and all the work that they've done that we're, we're ready and ramped up for, for September. But no question the challenge was the mental health side of it. Um, yeah, I know all the teams in our league you know, have the same challenge and work through it. But, you know, we're happy with what we're able to do is keeping our guys positive and, and around each other as best we could, being that they were spread across North America. Uh, with Hatcher stepping down, any are you close to hiring a new coach yet? That must be a tough process as well right now. <laughs> Well, Mike, uh, your resume hasn't come through to my inbox yet, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot uh, of video. There's a lot of video you can pour over. Yeah, I might need it. I think I might need it. But uh, the truth is, uh, you know, some great candidates. We've had a lot of people re- reaching out. I've uh, I've done some in- interviews already. We'll do a few more this week. No rush. But I think we want to do. We want to move forward quickly. We're, we're really happy with their draft picks, and we talked about Angus and Ben already, and and the others. But uh, no, we we do want to kind of circle in on this quickly. But uh, the due process, it's a it's a cliche line, but there'll be a process to it for sure. I gotta say, Dylan. I mean, we're feels like we're reminded more often these days that time doesn't stand still. It is it is somewhat mortifying to me that kids born in two thousand five <laughs> are now being drafted into the OHL. Yeah, I, I don't crazy. Know. It's crazy. just. It's absolutely nuts. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. We really appreciate your time this morning. Congratulations on, on making some important history. We wish you, your organization, and certainly Taya very well. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Met Dylan Sika is the GM of the Sarnia Sting. I was just thinking as you and Dylan were talking, like I was hosting Ottawa 67's broadcasts on Rogers Community TV in 2005 like the the season i'll never forget for for that part of my career was 0405 the nhl lockout the full year lockout the 67s were drawing 10,000 fans to every home game that year because there was no senators and that was the only hockey you could get and kids who were born that year are now being drafted into it's just nuts well i had these kids at 11 and 12 years old 
Like that's where I started yeah. uh, doing development work with them. And I was, yeah, I had a friend reach out, said, Hey, uh, you know, sent me four or five names. These kids that you worked with all just got drafted. I'm like, it's the old five draft year. And he said, yeah. And I'm like, Oh gosh, just, you you can't believe it. They're, 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 they're going to be gone this year. A lot of them. Right. Um, it's a young age, like sending 16 year olds off to play junior hockey. I'm sorry, oh, but that's, yeah. no. it's a young age. And just the fact working at these guys for the last, you know, five years, it's, it's hard to believe that they're, uh, they're gone to the OHL. Well, you did it. I mean, you moved to Kingston, yeah. right? And there's that. So like, imagine being a kid from Kingston or Ottawa or North Bay, and all of a sudden you're moving to Sarnia. I mean, it might have been the first time you ever heard of that town. It's yeah. it's a real young age for stuff like that to happen. Morgan Campbell of uh, CBC Sports and the New York Times in about 15 minutes on the Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul debacle. Up next, Donovan Bennett. How should Leafs fans feel about the Habs being up 3 nothing on the Jets with a chance to close it out tonight on LeBron going out and Kawhi stepping up for the clip? Just in time. Donovan Bennett in a moment. Here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan. A couple of 5-1 scores in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Habs are up three games to none on the Jets. Winning at home last night, 5-1. No rest for the weary. Game four and the possible clincher for the Habs to get into the final four tonight. And you could watch the game on Sportsnet and on Hockey Night in Canada. By the way, the Habs would play the winner of Colorado Vegas if they advance. Vegas beat Colorado 5-1, to so that series is now tied 2-2. The Knights have outplayed the Avalanche in three consecutive games now, and that series will go back to Colorado for Game 5 tomorrow night. Games on the docket tonight, the Islanders and the Bruins series tied 2-2, and as I said earlier, the Canadians will host the Jets in Game 4. Blue Jays fall 6-3 to the Astros yesterday, so they lose 2 out of 3 to Houston. They are off tonight, start a six-game road trip in Chicago against the White Sox tomorrow night. Kawhi, an assist shy of a triple-double. The Clippers in Game 7 eliminate the uh, Dallas Mavericks, 126-111. Luka Doncic, it's not like he didn't do his part. He factored in on 77 of Dallas's 111 points, either scoring them or assisting on them, but it wasn't enough in the uh, Clippers' advance. Atlanta, 128-124 victory in Philadelphia in game one of their second-round playoff matchup. All right, Donovan Bennett is a host, a writer, a producer for Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, and there's a bunch to get to with him. He joins us now. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, how are you? And before you ask me whatever it is you're going to ask me, because I have no idea whenever I come on what we're going to talk about, but I always enjoy the conversation, and I love seeing how I can derail the conversation to something else. Can I just say how profound, important, well-produced, authentic, at times maddening Outfield was, your documentary? I don't know how much you've talked about it on the show. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to talk about it on the show, but I just want to say from someone who knows you quite well and maybe thought they knew you quite well, um, thank you. Uh, It's certainly a really important piece of work for the LGBTQ plus community, but it's important work for all of us. Uh, And I know it couldn't have been difficult, but it was amazing. So thank you. Uh, thank you for saying that, pal. And I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I mean, we're all in this together, right? Um, 
the world needs to become a better place. And uh, we work on it each and every day. And I, I do just want to shout out Stefan Perret, who did an unbelievable job producing it. He's the one who coordinated all of it, got us all together, put it all together. Brilliant work. Lots of talented people behind the scenes who do this stuff. And Stefan himself is LGBTQ+. So it's important that we have representation at all uh, levels. And, and he did a wonderful job. Um, you didn't derail it. I appreciate that. But now I'm going to get us back on track here, um, to the extent that it was derailed. <laughs> so the Montreal Canadiens have a three-games-to-none series lead on the Winnipeg Jets, which can only drive the knife further into the livers of Toronto Maple Leafs fans. I don't know if the Leafs would have a three-games-to-none series lead on the Jets, but, Donovan, when you consider how close the Leafs were up three games to one, couple of overtime games in games five and six watching the old rival do what it's doing is maddening it's funny you say that right because life and expectations are all about your perception and i'm watching the series a little bit differently i feel like it would be maddening for our friends at edmonton like that's how far you are from contending for a championship in the prime of uh, Connor McDavid's career, you got destroyed by Winnipeg. Like, the series was never really close. At least the, the Maple Leafs controlled the series, should have won it, had many opportunities to win it. Edmonton wasn't really close after being clearly the second-best team in the North uh, for the balance of the year. And now the team that you destroyed – Mind you, they're not the same team with their best offensive player being suspended and having multiple injuries. But seeing them being dominated by, by Montreal, I think, is, is more maddening for friends in Edmonton. But, I mean, Maple Leafs fans, and they're not just in the GTA, they're all across the country, they'll find any reason to be upset. They're going to look at anything with the glass being half empty and not half full. I, I don't know how much appraisal you can really take it well you know we were close with montreal and montreal is dominating winnipeg thus if we were in the next round we would have also dominated winnipeg i think the the lesson that we're really learning here and it's one that we already know anyone who's grown up watching hockey at this time of year i suppose a little bit earlier most years uh, at, at this point in the playoffs knows it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season it doesn't matter really how good your your team is or how deep you are if you have the best goalie in a series and in this case I would still say the best goalie in the world he could steal you a game or a series and so yeah Montreal is, is flying high and it's not as if Jack Campbell wasn't good he gave up some softies yes but he also shut the door when some games could have been even further out of hand but I think you just have to say well Carey Price is that dude and man hopefully we'll run it back and not run into him in in the first round when he's standing on his head yeah, and it's a great point. What you do in the regular season doesn't always mean your playoffs are going to fall suit. And two of those players for the Leafs that were taking a lot, are taking a lot of heat, are Matthews and Marner. Were you surprised to see the amount of, I don't want to say hate, but backlash, I guess, against those two players? No. I mean, so specifically with Marner, no, because this is not, a small sample, right? This is the balance of his 
postseason career and his young career, specifically in series deciding games. He has been somewhat MIA. Matthews, what was the conversation we were having after the first couple games? Oh my goodness, he's going into the corners. He's loving the scrums and the rough stuff. He's smiling. He's becoming a little bit of a meme how much he's mm-hmm. embracing the physicality. So with, with Matthews, less so with Marner, certainly uh, it, it, I think you know the the conversation is a little bit more warranted. And he, Matthews, even if, though he wasn't scoring, he was creating some, some chances and getting in high danger errors. Martyr, it just seemed every time he had the, the puck on his stick in a place where he could make a big play, he was, he was fighting it. And, he, and when it didn't go his way, he was looking into the stands, looking up in the sky, looking for help from somewhere. He, he never felt like he believed he was going to, you know, open up the, his account and really start to, to create some chances or, or bury some points. So I think differently, but also, like, let's be honest. If, if we're looking at the contracts and they're grouped together because they play together and because they're the ten million dollar guys that were playing at that point, if we look at the contracts, I believe, and I'm interested to hear what you guys think. I believe that they they got a, a fair, if not a bit of a discount with Matthews. If Matthews really wanted to be difficult, he could have driven that number up a little bit higher. I think the Marner camp won their contract. I think the fact that he's a uh, $10 million plus player is a good uh, outcome for him, given, you know, the profile and size of, of players like him and what they've been paid in the past. So I, I think, you know, again, life is all about expectations. And when you see someone maybe not fulfilling the, their, their contract at that level and coming through in the big moments, I, I think people certainly are going to be upset, even though it's irrational, but look for maybe, is this the way to go forward with having a, team that is so top heavy and you, you're paying so much for four guys and you really can't balance the roster appropriately. Well, the fear I have about the Matthews contract is the fact there's only three years left on it. Like he, right. you know, I think he, we all knew he was going to get paid. He deserves to get paid. He's one of the best players in the game. At least the Oilers, Donovan can look at this and say, all right, we're paying Connor about 12 a year on the AAV we signed him to the max term eight years at the time, six years left. Right. I mean, that, that, that to me is the key. They've got a half a decade to work with this thing. Whereas the Maple Leafs are starting to push up against it. Austin and Nylander three years away, Marner and Tavares four years away, presuming perhaps wrongly that they all remain in Toronto for the life of their contracts. Right. And I think the sell to get them to remain in Toronto, the life of the contracts is, listen, if you do something special here, it will trump what you could do anywhere else. That will that will pay it for itself in spades post-career. I mean, there are still Maple Leafs who went deep in, in the playoffs who are treated like gold in the city. Never mind if someone were to get to a Stanley Cup or never mind hoist one. So the problem though, I think that you're pointing out is, well, what will average salaries be by the time you're having this conversation again? Yes. McDavid really set the ceiling, but when his deal elapses, he's going to be great value. Assuming that the cap continues to go up and we we don't know what's going to happen coming out of a global pandemic or how long uh, that halo is going to be over the league, but with some new TV money in the United States, Eventually, with more TV money coming in Canada, you're expecting that, that that cap number to go up steadily over the balance of McDavid's contract. And so I, I think 
it, to point out the term certainly in getting people nervous is is you know right to do. I, I'm fascinated by this off season more than any of the others. And yes, they 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 had some high profile early exits, and I and, and everyone who felt like this one was difficult. Do you not remember what it felt like? against Boston multiple times, that I think was, was much more difficult to stomach. But they've been pretty clear that with their stars anyways, they're going to run it back, that they're not going to give up on this group. So this is not basketball where you can just get Kawhi Leonard to come in for a year and change everything and then leave, and, and that changes the way the franchise feels about itself, never mind what the public feels about it. In hockey, you literally have to build brick by brick by brick. And a lot of that is built now. So other than tearing parts down and building again, I'm not sure how you change the makeup for this team mentally, never mind what it looks like on the ice. What are you thinking when you watch a game that's being played in Montreal with 2,500 fans and then you see what's going on south of the border with 18,000 fans in Vegas? Um are you sh- shocked at all, or is it just, hey, that's the way things well, are? And then are throw the, south of the border. Throw, <laughs> throw some of the good and the bad that's going on yeah. in the NBA playoffs with crowds as well. Yeah. yeah. So jarring, I guess, would be the word that I'd use. Like, it, I, I don't know what you guys, even watching television shows that were clearly filmed pre pandemic and COVID's not part of the pot line. I'm like, you guys are standing too close. This is making me nervous. Like, that's the way I view everything through now so to watch a sporting event whether it's Vegas or Boston seeing a hat trick in Boston like remembering that what that was like when you oh yeah that's right you scored three goals and there's a bunch of fans that to throw hats on the ice all of this is is I'm after relearning I suppose what it's like to see a full building in the playoffs in the NHL and, and also in the NBA and, and Scott to your point the NBA I think fans are relearning how they're supposed to act at NBA mm-hmm. games no you're not supposed to throw popcorn at people no you're not supposed to spit on people like are we in grade school or or kindergarten at this point so I think we're all relearning the United States vaccine rollout has been well advanced of ours for a while but we are if you're paying attention not to be an epidemiologist or anything we're fastly catching up with the rest of the world including the united states but i think the pr in our country about how far behind we've been and how bad things have been how poorly managed it's been at all levels of government still hang over us that even though it probably is a lot safer to open up more so and closer to what the united states is doing maybe something in the middle between we're back open, or in some states, they're really never closed. Uh, to us, where it's a really, really measured approach, probably is the right answer. But I'm glad to hear that the whatever Canadian hockey team makes it to the next round won't be penalized for our situation in the country. They'll, they'll have a competitive chance. They'll be able to not have to play their games in the United States, which could have been a real option. They'll ha- be able to host in Canada and travel to the U.S. to play. So I'm glad we're getting there. But, yeah, it is still odd to experience and, and watch and see the great difference. Like Quebec, who's, I suppose, been the most progressive in terms of opening things up, yeah, they've got a couple thousand, but it's still far from full capacity. And Winnipeg also, you know, just for fully vaccinated healthcare workers opened up a little bit, but I, I would love for us as a country to get to a place where everyone feels so comfortable. And really our vaccinations are so high that if 
for the first time since the early 90s. The Habs are back in the finals. If we are at a place where, yeah, that the building in downtown Quebec is full, that the ceremonies that we love pregame, that Montreal does better than anybody in sports, they're able to do it with some of their great legends and all of the fans they're watching. That's like supposed to light at the end of the tunnel that I'm hoping for, but we still have a ways to go before we get there. With Donovan Bennett on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans. So despite the best efforts of Luka Doncic, there is a guy, and his name is Kawhi. And man, did he show up. Well, he really showed up for the entirety of the series. But man, did he really show up in game six. And did he ever show up with an assist shy of a triple-double in game seven? There are stories like Chris Paul in Phoenix getting past LeBron. And could this be the deep run for Chris Paul and the shot at the elusive NBA title? I guess we'll find out. But Kawhi and the clip have pushed through the first round. And there he is again, Donovan, playing his best basketball at the most important time. Yeah, and taking on another superstar playing their best basketball at the most important time, right? We saw him in Toronto take on Giannis and, and really stymie him. And I don't want to say he stymied Luca because Luca was great throughout the series and really showed that, yeah, he's not a true NBA rookie. He's played massive games in Europe and internationally. But Kawhi, I mean, you said that man – I think that robot is more appropriate, right? The moment doesn't matter. The situation doesn't matter. Who is guarding him or who he's guarding doesn't matter. Can't speed him up or slow him down offensively. He gets to his spots or when he needs to, gets to the basket or to the free throw line. He's just that institutional calm that I think that franchise is needed. The Clippers needed it. They literally haven't been here before as a franchise in terms of having these championship expectations, but nothing about them is calm. Paul George seems to always be in his feelings. It's like he's playing with like a Drake sad song in his mind all of the time. And, and he brings that into his press conferences. Steve Ballmer, the owner is always losing it on the sidelines. It's a bit annoying to watch at this point, but Kawhi is not phased or bothered by any of this. And we saw what that meant for the Toronto franchise and how he really more than anything showed them how to win and how to handle uh, these situations. And, and he's doing the same for the Clippers. And now you're right with the, the Lakers who the, the Clippers were trying to duck no longer in the playoffs. The West is wide open and, and whoever comes out of the cage match, it's going to be the East between the Sixers, the Nets, the Bucks and now really uh, flying Hawks team uh, will will have their hands full with, I think, a Clippers team who I, I honestly think the the bracket has broken for them. And, and just looking at how they're playing and how they finished off the Mavericks, I'm not sure anyone, aside from maybe Phoenix, um, has more depth and has a star that can close games out like so I, I wouldn't have been surprised if once again the Clippers went out in the first round. But now, having seen them come back from 2-0, I wouldn't be surprised if Kawhi once again is is holding the Larry OP. I really wouldn't. And if he does, good for him. Because he is, especially when he's healthy, uh, an awesome, awesome player. 
We'll leave it there for now, Donovan, and get you back on ASAP. Always love our chats. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy it, Bob. Donovan Bennett, host, writer, producer, uh, Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Morgan Campbell, thumbs up. We got him. All right, here he is from CBC Sports. The New York Times, he has uh, long covered combat sports, written about them. And I don't know. I'm not going to speak for him. Maybe he did enjoy. At the very <laughs> least, he endured Floyd Money Mayweather, emphasis on money, and Logan Paul last night. Uh, Morgan, it's always good to hear your voice. So, yes. did you endure or did you endure and enjoy that spectacle me, last night? The highlight of the card for me is someone who really enjoys craft and the competition of boxing was uh, the second fight of the evening, Luis Arias and Jarrett Swift Heard, which was, you know, a significant fight in the context of those two men's careers. Highly competitive, a lot of action. It's one of these fights that the people who know boxing knew was going to be a good fight, but then also a lot of these drive-by fans who came to see uh, the freak show at the top of the card could appreciate, even if they didn't understand boxing, just because it was so violent and fast-paced. Now, as far as the main event was concerned, it was ugly. Um, May, Mayweather's this little old guy that beat up on this big young guy, and the big young guy leaned on Mayweather and tried to hug him and tried to make him tired, and that was about the extent of his strategy. Um, and it was really awkward and halting and herky-jerky action, but Mayweather was clearly the better boxer, but we knew that. Um, but anyone who is disappointed like in the quality of the main event needs to blame themselves and their expectations instead of the fighters. Cause I don't know what they thought was going to happen when a big young slow guy who boxes, but is not a boxer fought, uh, uh, <laughs> a smaller old man who has not fought in four years, but is like a master of the craft. I don't know what they thought was going to ensue besides awkwardness. Does an exhibition match like, like that help the sport or does it hurt it? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like it, it really doesn't matter. Like this is one of these things that only happens with boxing. Look, we were here in Toronto five years ago. We all sat here and watched Kevin Hart nearly beat Draymond Green in the three-point shooting contest. <laughs> yeah, no one says, "Well, the NBA's dead because these actors can almost beat Draymond Green in a, in a, in a three-point shooting contest." What does this say about the Warriors' legacy? What does it say about the health of the sport? Blah 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 blah. We only do this with boxing, and um, we do this every few years with boxing. So Mayweather's doing this with, with Logan Paul right now, and everyone says, what does this say about his legacy? What does this say about the health of the sport? Muhammad Ali fought Antonio Inoki. Okay, Antonio Inoki was a professional wrestler. Muhammad Ali was the heavyweight champion of the world at the time, right? And instead of fighting, so you're the heavyweight champion. There's a long list of guys who've been uh, working for a title shot, and you've told all of them, wait a minute, wait a few more months, put your career on hold, because I'm going to go fight a professional wrestler in Japan and have a farce of a match. Uh, but nobody holds that against Muhammad Ali in terms of his legacy, and nobody points to that as the reason you know they think boxing is dying. So always in the moment you panic, but if you take a wider view, you realize this stuff happens all the time. This says like literally nothing about the state of the health of the sport or anything like that. Yeah, I I, I prefer your Anoki Ali comparison to Kevin Hart Draymond because because nobody's kicking anybody's ass like literally. In a right. three-point shooting com uh, competition, right? I mean, and it was one punch and you're done if if this was a shoot fight, right? Like, Floyd would have needed what? Two, three seconds to get it done. I even think he knocked him out at one point 
and then propped him up. He, he, that did happen. <laughs> that like, did happen. <laughs> you know, like, it's just. And then you got Jake Paul on Twitter claiming his brother won. Like, it's. But you knew that was going to happen. Of and, course. And, and, and this is. Look, what, what Jake Paul and Logan Paul have done, Jake Paul especially, because Jake Paul fights sort of consistently, but never against anyone good. And so Jake Paul has kind of solved um, solved the, the puzzle of boxing. Because the thing is, in boxing, people build up their records on fighters. Like, contenders build up their records on fighters who are nowhere near as good as they are. That's how you get to 17, 18, 20, and 0, like that. And then if you want to make money, you have to start fighting guys who are as good as you are. And that's why you go from 20 and 0 to 30 and 2. Because now you're fighting really good guys, but Jake, but you, but that's those are the kind of risks you have to take to make money. But Jake Paul especially has figured out well because I'm Jake Paul, it's because I have a following. People will pay me to fight, and I can make I can make risky fight money for fighting people who do not box. <laughs> and so that's what he's doing. Uh, as far as Logan is concerned, um, really big, really muscular, and in the context of pro boxing, really slow. Like there's. The only thing that kept him in that fight last night was the fact that he's just so young and so much bigger than this little old guy he was fighting. Like, if you put Jake Paul in the ring with a quality uh, cruiserweight, someone his own size, um, who knows how to box and boxes for a living, that fight doesn't go four rounds. And so, again, I just don't know what people thought was going to happen. Floyd Mayweather is 44 years old. And so all these images you have of Floyd Mayweather fighting are images of a much younger man and he's a well-preserved 44 but 44 is 44 what do you think's next for mayweather who cares but he's a promoter <laughs> he's an old guy he owns uh, what does he own um he has a strip club in las vegas he has a roller rink in las vegas he has he's fighters, got a gym he he's got a, he's got a yeah he's got a gym 1500 $1,500 for 90 minutes of is training. Is the gym connected to the strip club? <laughs> well, honestly, but this, is, but this is like kind of the open secret of a lot of old fighters. Oh, you saw, sorry, he has, he has the gym in Las Vegas, and he also has like a, like a franchise of gyms. Like uh, okay. maybe the fitness center. Yeah, it's like, it's like good life. <laughs> um, but a lot of these old fighters, they will get in the ring for sparring sessions with like, uh, with like Bay Street types. Mm-hmm. These base street types will pay like literally hundreds or thousands of dollars around to go spar with like the Mike Tyson or whoever, right? So yeah. Might make that kind of money. But, that, but here's, here's the thing is that, you know, Floyd built the second half of his career on, on every few months selling the public on the possibility that some guy was going to beat him and just being, becoming this obnoxious heel because he was never going to make money as a good guy. People didn't necessarily want to see him win, but if you could take the other guy, build him up, make him think that this is the guy that can beat you. And there's a lot of money in that. And the thing is, when you retire undefeated, the public still has this unrequited desire to see you get flattened. But Floyd Mayweather is at the point, like if you watch his demeanor last night after the fight, he was not happy. I think he thought this was going to be easier than it was. But again, the the other guy's size um, and his youth made a 44-year-old man feel 44. So he slapped Logan, Logan Paul around for eight rounds, but it still wasn't like as clean and as pretty and as definitive as he wanted it to be. And there are points in the fight where he looked and felt like a guy, like a middle-aged grandfather, which is what he was, because one of his kids has a kid now. This is a grandpa. Um, and so 
I would not expect to see him uh, in any more exhibitions because there's not enough um, – because he's already rich too, right? So you can't, you can't make a rich guy do things for money that you can make a broke person do for money because he already has money and he understands the value of, of like the, the marginal value of a dollar. So a million dollars to him is not a million dollars to you and me. And so he's like, well, there's not enough money in any of these fights now to justify me getting off my middle age behind and training seriously and trying to make these things happen. So I don't think you're going to see him fight again. I'll, I'll tell you what, whatever laughing we're doing at all of this, I don't think money Mayweather cares. He got an eight figure payday and Logan Paul got a real decent downside and is probably well into the seven figures based on his share of the pay-per-view buy rate. So whatever laughing we're doing at these guys, they're laughing all the way to the bank. They're fine with it. Well, you don't become a YouTube celebrity by having a sense of shame, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) Logan Paul didn't get knocked out. He didn't get cut. That's a victory for him. Mm-hmm. So no, he doesn't care that this. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't care that this 150 pound grandpa beat him up, right? He didn't die. He's not in the hospital. He might be exhausted, but he didn't get knocked down. He didn't get cut. That's a win for him, and he's gonna. Yeah, he's, he's gonna cash a big check this morning, and that's that. And that's all it was. And again, if you thought this was gonna be anything other than that, like I don't know what to tell you because even Floyd Mayweather said. Um, I'm not forcing boxing fans to watch this. If you're into boxing, if you're a purist, you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. This is entertainment. Um, But I just don't think the fight was as entertaining as Floyd thought it was going to be just because Logan Paul, you know, leaned on him, laid on him, made it ugly, which is what you have to do when you're 190 pounds and slow and you're not a professional boxer. We'll leave it there, Morgan. Always fun to chat. Thanks for doing this, and uh, you know we'll have you back on soon. Can't wait. All right. Take it easy, guys. Morgan Campbell of CBC Sports, the New York Times, all over. The Money Mayweather, Logan Paul spectacle yesterday. Christopher Stieg. There's going to have to be a Phil Kessel impersonation mixed in somewhere. What's what's working so well for the Habs? Stieger's next. This This is Lee Sportsnet 63rd to their late great Prince. This Montreal Canadiens thing, Ziggy, it's just. just can't get over it. I just, no. I need some time. <laughs> I need some time once it's yeah. over. And it's very clearly not at this point. And you've got Carey Price, and they're pouncing on everything shorthanded, turning it into offense. And they are up three games to none on the Winnipeg Jets with a chance to sweep Winnipeg out of the playoffs and advance to the Final Four as the uh, Canadian or North Division's representative tonight. Chris Versteeg is a two-time cup champ. Played for the Leafs in 2010-2011, and he is with us now for his weekly hit. 
is 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 it at a point, Chris, where deniers like me need to acknowledge that this Montreal Canadiens team is good? It's first off, it's Prince's birthday. Yes. Well, the late great Prince would be sixty three years old today yeah, if he were well, still alive. Yeah. He's he's my number one. Anytime I go to a wedding or whatever, I sing Purple Rain, so um, yeah, it's, you know, Prince is one of the best, but now let's get back to hockey. That's what this show is actually about. Not Prince right now, but you know, w- when we talked about, uh, Montreal at the start of the season, everyone was like, ah, they're the best team. And I said, I'm like, yeah, they're not a great team. They're a good team. And then I didn't think they would get through the Canadian division by any means, but also the Canadian division isn't that good. So they're built for the playoffs. Clearly they're built for the playoffs. Those top guys are performing. Um, Carey Price is playing really well, and they're really showing a lot of weaknesses in Toronto and also in Winnipeg. Now, Winnipeg, I, they they really faltered down the stretch, and it shocked me that they they dismantled Edmonton like they did. So, if I'm an Edmonton fan right now, I'm a little more worried than I, even I was after the round. Um, but watching Winnipeg, like they can't get out of their zone. Their D aren't activating. They have that Billy Hanel. Why why, do, why is he not playing? You know. They have these guys that um, can't continually move the puck out of the zone. They're hemmed in, and they're just not they're, they're not stepping up. They're, it is really painful hockey to watch, actually. How much do you think the Shifley um, suspension is, is hurting the Jets right now? Because the Canadians winning the first one, okay. Well, could, like first game could have gone yeah. one of two ways. It could have been the fresh and rested team beats the team coming off the game seven, or the game seven team that just had a hard fought series against the Leafs comes into a, a stale and, and, you know, out of shape jets team, right? Well, it was that way that that first game went, but you don't have Shifley in, in your lineup. How hard is that for the jets? You know what Shifley missing is exposing the most mm-hmm. is Pierre Luke Dubois. It's mm-hmm. exposing him. I, like, where is he to be seen right now? Right. He is non-existent, and, and it doesn't even, I don't even mean from like a, like literally half the game goes by, and I don't even know he's on the ice. Like, I'm watching the game, and then I'm like, oh, man, he's playing. These are moments when these guys like Shifley, whether they get suspended or they get hurt or situations arise, this is his time to shine. You know, Crosby goes down. I'm not saying he's Malkin by any means because he's not, but he wanted to be, a, he wanted to get out of Columbus he wanted to be a top line guy, just like lining going back the other way. And it's just, it's just crazy that he has not stepped up and he's not playing the way you'd expect him, or at least stepping up in these games and, and bringing his game to another level. But what that has done for me is it's exposed, it's exposed him the most. Something to chew on brought to you by great Canadian meat with Christopher Stieg. And look, revisionist history is pointless. And, and I understand that, but, and Philip Deneau has been fantastic in the role that he has played. But I'm wondering, Chris, and if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas and all that stuff. But no Tavares, essentially from the halfway point of game one for the Maple Leafs, no Shifley because of a silly decision he made and then the, the subsequent suspension. The Habs are supposed to be weak up the middle, did the Leafs losing one of their top two guys and did the Jets losing their top guy up the middle? You talk about Dubois and the effect that that's had on him. That, has that been enough to clearly turn the tide of these series 
or am I just an embittered Leafs fan who can't let go a week later? No, you're 100% right that these guys, both teams lost their top-line centers. I mean, obviously, Tavares is the second line, but both these guys, after Tavares goes, we've always asked that question, where's that third-line center? Where's that guy on the Leafs going to be? I still think that's the massive hole because when Tavares goes down, you need a guy that can go in or if, if situations arise in the playoffs where he's not maybe playing good, you need a guy to go in. And the same for the Jets at the moment. Uh, or what Dubois has not stepped up. So, uh, you know what? To win a Stanley Cup and to get into the playoffs and go far, you need luck too. And Montreal is playing really well. They're built really well right now going into the playoffs. They play hard. They play physical. They can wear you down. Again, I don't think they're a great team. I think they're a good team and a not good division. But at the end of the day, you need luck to go a long ways. And even when we've won Stanley Cups in the past, we needed luck. We need bounces. You need certain things to happen. And right now, every time Montreal comes into a round, the other team loses one of their top centers. And obviously that plays into Montreal's hands. How much does scoring first and taking control of the game matter in the playoffs? And I, I know they're throwing it up on, on the broadcast on how – long or I guess the streak right now of of the Canadians holding a lead in the game and it goes back to game five against against the Leafs does is this sustainable for the Canadians or as soon as they get down in, in any game their odds go down drastically I don't know you should ask Colorado <laughs> you should ask Colorado that last night they scored early on and and they didn't touch yeah. the puck the rest of the game but yeah. Montreal's you're, you're right Montreal's feeling it they're checking extremely well they're playing hard all four lines are contributing um they're going to the net and and the back just the one thing that Montreal's doing which at the start of the series against Toronto they weren't doing is they weren't using the back of the net offensively and I kind of thought whatever team was going to start to get the puck behind the net create confusion that's generally where a lot of the offense comes from from playoff hockey because there's so much confusion guys are like overhyped they're going into positions they shouldn't be Montreal's really done that well he's seen from the Perry goal he dominates behind the net in front of the net and that's why he does so good in the playoffs because in and around that area it's hard there's a lot of confusion and a lot of things can happen and so in order to defend though they do it so well in the offensive zone right now now is it sustainable I don't know. We're going to find out if, I mean, who knows what the heck's going on in Winnipeg, if they ever score, or if they ever get a lead. But when you get into the next round and you're playing Vegas or Colorado, you better have some resiliency because now you're in, you're in the NHL, basically. <laughs> you're in the NHL. You're, you're out of the North division uh, with Christopher yeah. Steak. And I want to, like, I want to ask you about Colorado and, and Vegas. And we know that Colorado's a man short with Nazem Kadri serving his suspension. So, Colorado thumps Vegas, who'd gone long with Minnesota in game one. And ever since then, Vegas has been the better team. There was a ticky-tack penalty call early in overtime of game two against Vegas. Colorado takes advantage, scores the overtime winner, keep home ice advantage. Vegas has carried the play clearly and considerably in their two home games. Now we go back to Denver for game five tomorrow night i mean i would imagine the avs are up against it here chris like just the way that this series has trended you don't want to cough up game five on home ice and have to try to survive in the fortress in game six no and and you kind of you kind you could kind of see that just with how what's going on sorry my phone's playing music right now um that's prince's birthday it is it is purple rain man um 
You could actually see that, though, like you said, it's almost like they took the, the pedal off the gas in game two and kind of let them come around and uh, play their game. But as the series has gone on, the top line for Colorado's been pretty much kept at bay. And that whether that be, again, McNabb coming back last night, he's a huge player for them. Uh, he can defend really well. He can move the puck. So that's going to help. I guess, create two defense pairings that can play against that top line at any time. But it's really on that top line. they got to get going in game five. They haven't been good enough the last couple of games. And they're only going to go as far as Nathan McKinnon can drag them. But they are a deep team. They're really fast. They're the most fun team, I think, to watch in the game, them and the Tampa Bay Lightning. But Vegas is big and strong, and they're going to make it hard on you. You're going to have to go through them every time you want to get to the net. You're going to have to go through them in the O-zone even. Right when you turn the puck over and you're going on offense, there's a Vegas guy in your face. They pressure high high pressure. So it's frustrating for a, a skilled player because you're not going to get a lot of time and space with the puck. But it comes back to McKinnon. they got to be better than they were in the last couple of games. Do you think it hurt them when the Avalanche coach, Jared Bednar, called them out after game three saying it's not close? We're kidding ourselves. We think that's the competitiveness we need to beat the team that tied us for first in the league. Is that what do you think that's like for guys like McKinnon? Yeah, I was kind of shocked. I, I understand the psychology of it, right? You want to almost, when things are going good, sometimes you want to make it even tougher. Just so, yeah. you know, sometimes when you're Reel playing, back it's in. All, yeah, it's like the coach, <laughs> like you're feeling so good. And then it's like you come in after a period, you're up two, three, nothing. And all of a sudden the coach is like, you guys are terrible. What are you doing? And it's just to like, try to like settle you down. But sometimes it can have a bit of a, a reverse effect on you. So like psychologically. So I was shocked at, at how he basically took or he went at that press conference and how he talked about his team. I think, I think they deserved a little bit uh, more credit. But again, you saw last night, and, and Gary Galley kept touching on it throughout the game. Gary Galley's like, I don't think after Saad scored, they touched the puck all game, and they really didn't. <laughs> but he kept harping on, well, this is what Bednar said. This is what Bednar said. This, like, okay, coach, like, at some point, like, you, you can be tough on us, and I understand there's there's a mental part to the game too, but I, I didn't like how hard he went at the team. I understand reeling him in, but, you know, to give him a lick, and I didn't quite get. Okay, so if Phil Kessel happened to be Colorado's head coach heading into game five, what would the pump-up speech sound like? Guys, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to score. I'm going to do my part. But if Mac and Lando and Rance, if you don't show up, we're not winning the cup. Just hands down, that's it. <laughs> Putting his jersey on, like, and then half the team too. looking at him, yeah. like, in shock. <laughs> he would say, he would look like, are you guys going to oh, show up tonight? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just picture you're putting me. You're putting me back in the dressing room. Oh, you're putting me back in the dressing room. You guys are having flashbacks. It's like a bad acid trip from a decade ago. Just having having flashbacks. So Ziggy Seager, and I, you, go yeah, ahead, no, go ahead. No, you know, like Seager, the best play on the power play is just to get me the puck. <laughs> yes, that that was said for sure. <laughs> I don't care how you do it. Just get me the oh, puck. Yeah. Just get me the puck. Oh, yeah. So Ziggy and I have this theory that uh, Nikita Kucherov was playing incognito in the KHL all year. Otherwise, how do you explain this? This guy is unbelievable. Like, So he had hip surgery. I've had two of those hip surgeries. Uh, to come back after six months, uh, first off, 
this is this is on Tampa Bay. They did it right because when you when you have hip surgery, everyone's like, oh, you can come back at four or five months. But four or five months, you generally don't get that power training in. And I don't know if Ziggy can attest this with an, a surgery maybe he's had. But if you get to that six seven month mark, you get an extra month of training that can get you kind of your your power. It can get your power up a level to where you need to go. So. Tampa Bay didn't rush him. They didn't worry about it. They made sure he felt good before he came back. And you're right. Maybe he was, you know, flying around playing in the Swiss League in the Alps that we didn't know about because he's coming out here and he's skating around not losing. Like, his energy levels are as high as ever, it looks like. And when you come back in and these guys have been playing at a high level all year and you can you can step in and just do what he's doing, it's incredible. It, it really is incredible. But I think it's a testament to their staff and everything they did in Tampa Bay. They did it right with him. But he comes in and he just dominates, which is which is shocking to me. Well, not shocking in a sense because his brain, he doesn't really need to use his feet too much because his brain is so far ahead of everyone else on the ice so he can think his way around the ice so he doesn't have to use his feet. But again, just to get your brain on the same level and, and one-touch plays, which he's doing, like a tap play into the middle, that takes a long time and a lot of touches to, to be able to do that. And he just comes back and does it. So uh, he's incredible. Uh, I love watching them, and again, I think it's just an all-around testament to the team they have in Tampa Bay to, to handle the situation right and bring them back when he's fully ready. Uh, and yes, I did have hip surgery in 2008, and I'm still trying to find my legs, so hopefully I find them here <laughs> soon because it's been 12 years, and oh, they yeah. are really 13 years. It's it's tough. Uh, I, I don't know how these guys come back this quick. I mean, I know he's out for the season, but it's it's incredible. Yeah, it, it was. I, I don't, but he's Nikita Kucherov, and that's why we're uh, sitting and talking on radio. <laughs> Seeger, always fun. Thanks for doing this, pal, and thanks for playing along with Coach Kessel. We'll we'll see what he has to say next week. For sure. Take care, guys. Yeah, Christopher Steeg, two-time cup champ, a Maple Leaf in 2010-2011. All right, the uh, Jets could go out tonight. Montreal, man, who'd have thought the Montreal Canadiens could become the first team to advance to the Final Four? Think about that. It could happen tonight on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. We'll break it all down tomorrow morning. The Jays are off, back in action in Chicago tomorrow. Have a great Monday. Good shows next. In Boca Lupo, a questa squadra italiana, il allenatore Roberto Mancini, è più importante di, di barcare di, di Ciro Immobile.